You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. What are you talking about? No, it's not him. There's only one more. There is only one more. There is, that's, that's it. One more. Get it right. No. They saw your team put up zero effort. Wake up. Remember in the old days, they used to have oxygen for them. Where's the oxygen? They play like absolute just garbage. <laughs> there, this is the Sports Loud Mouth. Yay! Man, can you keep it down? I'm trying to introduce here. With Errol Marks and Speedy Beatty. You're not even a has-been. You're a never was. You're a never was. <laughs> Oh, man. July 6th. We are in 2023. <laughs> you are listening to the Sports Loud Mouth. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy PD. 631-672-3108 is the number to call. Go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week, including the Sports Loud Mouths, which every single week airs. On Wednesday at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. It's Speedy Petey. We are moving our Wednesday show to 9 p.m. during the summer. After the summer, it will be moved back to 7 p.m. But we're happy to move it so all the fans out there, they can tune in. Even the youngsters that are not going to school, they can hear the show at 9 p.m. as we did in the past and, and now we're moving forward at 9 p.m. for the, the summertime. Speedy, what's up, man? Well, I was trying to figure out if you were going for the intro for a sports show or a haunted carnival. You know, that <laughs> laugh you had at the beginning. Well, that, that, that's the, that's the uh, official anthem of the, uh, where, the Brooklyn Nets slash wherever Kyrie Irving at lands. The clown show? The clown show. Well, the clown show in Brooklyn is gone. Now it's the rodeo clown show. Strong like bull. Strong like bull. Right? Well, the bulls don't exist in Kyrie Irving's flat earth. Well, that's if it, true. Because if a bull were to break Kyrie, uh, break the earth in a flat earth, then it would fall apart. So. Are you an ox? No, I'm not an ox. Am I an ox? I don't know. I hope Am I not. strong like ox? Yes. Okay, so there you go. We, we, we got it together right now. Speedy Petey admits I'm as strong as an ox, but there you go. But we have a great show lined up for you at 9.30. We'll be talking to producer of the Minus 3 podcast, Edward Eddie Spaghetti Murphy. As uh, me and Eddie had our own thoughts with the New York Giants last time we had him on the show, he, we were going back and forth arguing about Saquon Barkley, and I'm interested to hear what he has to say about Saquon Barkley. He also at the time liked Kenny Galladay's contract. <laughs> That's right. That's another thing that I definitely need to attack him with, but that's just a whole nother story. Uh, at 11 o'clock, we will be talking to heavy sports Jets digital reporter Paul Esten Jr. So he will be joining us as well. It's going to be fun. It will be a fun show. Paul is an interesting cat, man. Oh, yeah. He is very interesting. If you haven't checked out his podcast on YouTube, he is crazy. But he he follows the Jets. He's always at... Uh, practice, and he, he talks to a lot of Jets, he talks to a lot of analysts, so uh, he has the inside sources of what's going on into the New York Jets and, and moving forward, so that'll be fun a little bit later in the show. ESPN Insider Buster Olney says there is an optimism in the world, or optimism in the uh, the sky, the the air, the, the breath of air for the New York Yankees that Aaron Judge will Return sometime this year, maybe at the end of July. 
So that's good news. Damian Lillard's agent says that Dame could be or is unhappy if he's not traded to the Heat. So uh, good for him. I, I mean, this guy has been back and forth. He wants to be a Portland Trailblazer. He doesn't want to be a Portland Trailblazer. He wants to be a Portland Trailblazer. He doesn't want to be a tra- Portland tra- Trailblazer. Now all of a sudden he wants to be a net in the Heat, and now he just wants to be a Heat. So there you go. Uh, it's, it's interesting. Definitely interesting. Could the Mavericks trade Luka Doncic if Kyrie Irving and him do not get along again this year? And the answer is probably is going to happen. ESPN Tim Bontemps uh, reports that the Cavs could trade Donovan Mitchell if they struggle next season. We've been talking about this. I believe Donovan Mitchell will not be a Cleveland Cavalier by the trade deadline this coming season. I just, they, there have been talks over there in Cleveland that they're thinking about moving him this offseason. Now everybody is saying that those were false, that was false information. Now all of a sudden it's coming out that he could be traded. I I don't understand this. It's it's back and forth. I don't under, I I really never understood this from the beginning, and now I really don't understand it. Ah, yeah. Well. The Red Wings and the New York Islands are reportedly the favorites to trade for Alex DeBrinkett. So uh, I've been talking about it for the last couple of days. It seems like it's down to two. There was about 15 teams, and now we're down to two. What could the Islanders trade to land Alex DeBrinkett? We will get into that. DeAndre Hopkins says he thinks he could play until he's 37 years old. Meanwhile, he's not signed by any team. So he could play to 37, but he's not signed by anybody. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I don't understand it. Bracket Wars tonight. The matchups are number six seed Mike Tyson versus the number two seed Michael Phelps and the number six seed Roger Federer versus the number two seed Wayne Gretzky. So there you go, guys. I I will say this. There is a lot of craziness going on here in New York. And one of the main things is the heat. I can't stand the humidity. It is like... It's been like 90-something degrees for the last two days. Actually, for the last three days. I can't breathe. I have to blast my air conditioning in my car. And I actually was in the gym today, and I, was, I almost fainted, okay? It was just horrible. It, it, I don't, just don't like this weather. Let's get to the fall already. Come on, guys. Let's move it. Let's press a button and fast forward to the fall. I, I just I can't stand the summer. I'd have to probably sleep in a in a pool or something. I won't go in the ocean because of the sharks. Did you hear that there were five shark attacks here in Long Island? Yeah, you told me that yesterday. <laughs> five shark attacks already. It's July. Five shark attacks. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. No snug. DeAndre Hopkins is not siding with the Sacramento Kings. <laughs> ESPN MLB insider Buster Olney expressed optimism. With Aaron Judge's injury situation and says he expects Judge to return within the next month. Only also said on the Brady Farkas show, after hearing Brian Cashman talk about his this yesterday, I walked away and said, you know what? They actually think that he will be back at some time this year. I think they'd be thrilled if he played sometime in July. Judge also mentioned that his toe will take years to fully heal. They are talking about surgery, but doesn't believe they are at that point yet this year. 
Judge in 49 games and 175 at-bats this season is hitting 291 with 19 home runs and 40 RBIs and a 404 on-base percentage. The Yankees team offense is fourth worst in batting average and fifth worst in on-base percentage this season. The Yankees are currently 1.5 games ahead of the Blue Jays for the last and final wild card spot. I mean, it's still early, so it, it really doesn't matter where they are with the wild card race. It really doesn't. But this judge story is very interesting. And I know I've been talking to Jeff off air, and I've been talking to a lot of people off air about the Aaron Judge thing, because there are a lot of Aaron Judge haters. And I was one of the Yankee fans out there in the offseason that was not optimistic about Aaron Judge staying healthy in the next four years, because the next four years are probably his best years of the nine-year contract that he signed with the Yankees. And a lot of the reasons why is Aaron Judge is 280 pounds. He's built like an ox. He really is. He's built with all muscle, and he's all power. And he's a five-tool player. He likes to dive for balls. He will jump into walls. We've seen him do that. And what happened in Dodger Stadium a couple of weeks ago? He jumped into a wall, actually ran through the wall, and hurt his toe. And he has not been on the field since. The problem here, and I know a lot of people say the Yankees offense is one of the worst in the league. It doesn't matter if their pitching staff is one of the best in the league. Pitching wins championships. We've been saying this about football. We say this about a lot of different sports. It's all about defense, right? Pitching is a form of defense. If you can stop the best hitters in baseball and outpitch them, you're going to win the majority of the games, especially in the big games and the playoffs. The Yankees over the last couple of years have not been a very good hitting team in the playoffs, but have been a very good pitching team in the playoffs. The questions here with the New York Yankees is what do they do if Aaron Judge does not come back this year? Do they make a trade for maybe a bat or two bats or maybe even three bats? Brian Cashman over the years Uh, at the trade deadline, adds a bat to the lineup. Not a big bat. He always finds somebody that nobody wants. They bring him to the Yankees, and he gets hot. We've seen this before. Brian Cashman is very good at bringing in players that nobody wants. And then they find a way. Look at Carpenter. They brought Carpenter in. He starts to hit. Last year, they traded for Harrison Bader. He didn't play all season in the second half until the end of, what was it, last two weeks? And then he was the hottest hitter for the Yankees in in the playoffs. He had five home runs. He was hitting close to 300. He was the only Yankee hitting in the playoffs last year. And I understand you need offense, especially if you make the playoffs, because you need to outduel those good teams. All the teams that make it to the playoffs have good pitching and have good lineups. But I will say this. We have seen teams over the years where their lineups were probably ranked in the 20s in the league. And because of their pitching and because of their defense, they find a way to win. Kansas City, when they beat the Mets, their offense the last three weeks of the season was not good. But they had a very good pitching staff. And their rotation, which is led by Johnny Cueto, and that bullpen, which was unstoppable. That was probably the best bullpen in baseball for the last for that three or four year span. That team, and they were great defensively, that team practically beat you on small ball baseball. And stolen bases because the Mets were terrible holding on base runners besides DeGrom. <laughs> you look at the Yankees right now. The Yankees are going to have to play small ball. 
They're not hitting the ball. They're not striking out a lot, which they've led the league uh, for the last couple of years in strikeouts. They have a lot of guys that strike out. This year, they just can't hit. And they're hitting for power in some aspects because the Yankees are in the top 10 in home runs. But that's all they're doing. And this has been the problem for Brian Cashman. Brian Cashman's been trying to figure this out. There's no lefties in this lineup either. It's been a huge problem. And this is, when you look at the Yankees and you look at the position that the Yankees have been over the last couple of years, especially trying to find left-handed power, it it, it just, I, I don't know what their plan is moving forward, especially going into the trade deadline. Now, I do believe Aaron Judge will be back sometime this year. I do. I really do. Even if he's hurt. And he already said that he's not going to be 100%. And he will probably need surgery to get to 100%. And even then, he says he could be hurt for the next two or three years. So he's pretty much not optimistic about his health. But sitting here today and going back and forth on trying to figure out where the Yankees are going to go at the trade deadline, that's not going to solve the problem right now. The only thing that's going to solve the problem is if the Yankees keep pitching, Carlos Rodon comes back or eventually shows up at the end of July and, and it gets added to this rotation. You have Frankie Montas, who a lot of people believe will be back in August, where you can obviously move him into the bullpen if you need bullpen arms. Cordero is out for the season because of the domestic violence situation. So the Yankees got to move pieces, and then figure out what they're going to do with this lineup, Speedy. Yeah, and you look at a lineup, too, that's not getting on base either. The fifth worst in on-base percentage. That's the biggest thing for any analytic, uh, analytic department to be able to judge, no matter how big or small your market is. They always want guys that can get on base. And you look at a case of the Yankees. They have all these power hitters, too, that you should be able to have that work. It usually correlates with guys like Stanton, who's been a great on-base guy in the past. Obviously, Aaron Judge, when he is healthy, was one of the best on-base percentage guys. Like you were saying, 404 on-base percentage before he got hurt is very good. But a lot of these things are mutually related. And striking out less, you would think they're trying to get on-base more or walk more. Not the case. They're just grounding out or flying out just short of the warning track or trying to get two-pull happy and fly out. I mean, there's a lot of other issues with the Yankees right now. And they just not have the same approach. And you look at the – it's not just Brian Cashman either. You look at a case of they've changed so many hitting coaches. Are you kidding me? The Yankee fans have been blaming Brian Cashman for the last 10 years. Oh, I know. It's Brian's fault. He can't find a way to put any bats in his lineup. He can't find left-handed power either. Come on, guys. Brian Cashman is doing what he is supposed to do. He's not trading away pieces. He's not trading away his young talent. He wants to build this team through the farm system. That's where baseball is going to. And look at the Braves. Look what the Braves are doing right now. Look what the Marlins are doing. Look at all the good teams right now in baseball, even the Dodgers. Yeah, they're making trades. They're bringing in free agents, but their farm system is as good as any farm system in baseball. The Houston Astros, look at their farm system. And the Dodgers have done it a lot like the Yankees this year. They've had so many injuries, too, and they've still been battling. They're not leading their division right now because of how well Arizona has played. But Another team yeah. that builds around their farm system. Yeah, they've, they've had a very good player development organization for a while, and they made some odd trades when it looked like they were contending, but now they're back into it, now leading the NL West. But going back to the Yankees, they, they're kind of stuck in that middle conundrum where they want to be able to build more on those guys that are not striking out as often, which they did. But I think a lot of that also has to do with the coaching, and maybe it's they're overcompensating in a way, too. And maybe they have to level it out where they're kind of middle because they have enough good talent in their lineup on paper that they should be able to do more. Who do we have? Jeff. <laughs> Jeff, what's up, man? Oh, I, I, will you just shut up about Aaron Judge? 
forever. Like he's he, he's not playing. Like who cares? He's not there. Move on. Well, I realize that you, I realize you projected him to hit thirty home runs in the month of June if he had been healthy and all this other stuff. Move on. He's not playing. He's not he playing. Stinks. The he's Yankees not... stink. Well, the Yankees. The Yankees how is it? How do the Yankees stink when they're nine games over five hundred? How well, do they stink? Well, well, your barometer was that they swept a series from Baltimore, and now Baltimore is stuffing them in a shoebox tonight. They're up thirteen and up. Okay. And Baltimore won last night, so they're winning this series. So I guess you're All back right. to square one with they. <laughs> square one. You never said the Yankees series. were a better team than the Orioles. I never did. But I, I will did, say no, this. He, he did. No, no, he did. He did last. No, night. I did. No, they, I did not. They, I said the Yankees are won playing. One series from the Orioles. Yes, a Baltimore Oriole team that was not playing well, and now obviously they're getting hot. They're playing the Yankees, and and they're winning this series. That does that doesn't mean anything right now. The Yankees are nine games over five hundred. They do not stink. They do not stink. And right now, they're still in the final wild card spot. It's still early. And, and yes, Aaron Judge is a big part of this Yankee team. He is the captain of the team. And moving forward, the Yankees believe he will be back. And by the way, Aaron Judge believes he will be back. And that is a story. It's not me. Buster only came out with this story. And he has come out and said that he believes that Aaron Judge will be back by the end of July. So that what, is that? a story. How right, could you but, say but it's but not? How how, but how productive could he possibly be? I, I don't know. He's, not gonna get, he's better he's not than any of the hitters. To, he's better than right, any of the hitters. Get, but he's not going to get you. You just said he's not going to get surgery until the off season. So with with a torn ligament in his foot or toe or wherever this thing is, he's not going to be able to run at a hundred percent, right? So how effective can he be? What's he coming back for? Well, hold on one second, Jeff. I understand a toe is very, very important, but if he can still pull the ball, he's going to hit home runs. And that has nothing to do with his toe, okay? So it, it, it does no. It does because you sh- you have to stride when you're in the batter's box, and if there's pain there, have you ever seen uh, Have you ever seen Aaron Judge's swing? He doesn't even move his lower part of his body. He uses his right. hips. And, and, right, but your big, your big argument for Judge and MVP and he's so good is he plays the outfield. Well, he could be very much a liability. He might be a DH. Outfield. He might not be playing the outfield. And right. the Yankees And then what, might... are you going to put Stanton in the outfield? Well, it's better than Aaron Judge who can't run after the ball. And you want to keep it Aaron Judge as healthy as you possibly can. It can't be better than Aaron Judge because Aaron Judge is the best player in baseball. First of all, I never said that. Okay, I said that last year he was the best player in baseball. I did not say this year, and he and this was. Year he's dog and shit. really, he was dog. Hold on one second. Dog shit. No, I'm not going to say that on the show. But I will say this: he was as good at any hitter in baseball before he got hurt. He was hitting 291. He had 19 home runs and 40 RBIs, and his on base percentage was over 400. Great. How could you great. say? Awesome. How could you That's sit awesome. here and say he was crap? That's that's awesome. Anyone can have like a hot month. Hey, you know Adam Duvall led the majors in home runs and batting average. All of Major League Baseball, Adam Duvall led it for the. Did Adam Duvall ever hit games in twenty seventeen? Did Adam Duvall ever win an MVP? Did Adam Duvall ever win almost a triple crown? Did he do that? See. See, Speedy, you get it, right? You get it. Anyone can have a hot month or a hot oh, two God. months, but it takes a season. 
It takes a full really? season. Really? It takes so a season. Right, because you're Wow, off you're of, teaching oh, well, me. You're training well, me. He was hot for, well, he was hot for a month, so he could keep that up all season is basically your premise. And it's stupid. It's being Really mentality. stupid, huh? You're being, you're, you're, you are with Aaron Judge as Beef was with his... First of all, it's a it's story. I didn't bring up this story. Buster only brought up the story. I am bringing up the story because he mentioned it. That's one. Number two, for you to say that he's dog crap just shows you how stupid you really yeah. are. When a guy has right. 19 home runs and 40 RPOs, and I remember when this was going on, you were telling everybody that Pete Alonso was a better power hitter than him, which Pete is Alonso ridiculous. Best power hitter in New York. Really? Pete. Really? He, is Pete he? Alonso, best power hitter Yeah, yeah okay. Uh, what drugs are you on? What drugs are you all on? Rise? Uh, all, all rise? All rise. You mean all, all sits. Yeah. You know what That's you need what you to mean? do? All sits. You, you, you talk about dog crap, which, uh, by the way, we're, we're going to fest up to that bet that we have uh, very uh, soon. By the, way, by the way, I first of all, you keep bringing it up like I'm the one I didn't, putting it up. Hold on, I didn't bring it up for a while. What are you talking about? I just no, 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 finally you, brought it up on, again. But you brought it up a ton of times. The day he signed, I was like, all right, let's do this. Like, let's do, right? like, let's do this. I've never been the one to put it off. Correct? Jeff, hold on one second. I'm going to say this nice and easy to you because you're the one that I, for the last couple of months has brought it up to me and I told you I'm not ready for it. I've been dealing with things. When I'm ready, Ready, I will let you, I will give you the okay well, to do it. Let's put a clock on. Let's put a clock on. Yeah, let's put on a clock. You're two the one. Weeks. You, you, you got two weeks. No, I, no, I'm not waiting. It's, it's not, no way. Jeff. No, no, no. You have two. You have two weeks so I can do this. This is what I'm giving you. It's been long enough. It's been two months since you've been signed. I was ready to do it that day, and you keep putting it off. Uh, I'm giving you two more weeks. You're gonna give me two weeks. All right. Two more weeks. All right. So That's in the next two in the next two weeks. Because Jeff lost the bet, he is going to eat doggy doo doo, and he is and going. I have, I have no problem with it. It's crazy. He is going to go outside and pick a nice, juicy, wet dog crap on the ground, and he's going to stick it in his mouth you know and chew on it. Half cooked. You know it's going to be half cooked in this Florida heat. Oh God. <laughs> I, just the thought of it is going to make me throw up when I every yeah, no time. Problem. Have you ever seen American Pie and when Stifler ate that dog crap? Remember that when he was trying oh, to get the ring? <laughs> yes, he got it yeah. in his teeth. It's That's, just a regular yeah. Tuesday for the beans. Uh, oh God, <laughs> that is so disgusting. And the fact that you're going to you're going to do it, it's going to be very very funny. So oh, I, no I I'm you going got two weeks. All right, and we're two not weeks. broadcasting it, and you're not recording Fine. it. This is, for, this is right. This is to just to own up to the bet, so you can see it that I did it. But two weeks. Stop putting it off. I, and I'm going to do it so you don't cheat. And what I mean by that, you're going to pick a fake piece of crap up and put it in your mouth. So, so how am I going to get a fake? How I, I listen. People do it. What, am I going to Spencer's to get rubber dog shit? <laughs> I, I, I don't know about that, Jeff. I you, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. I, I I wouldn't be surprised if you have a rubber piece of dog crap somewhere in your house because you are a trickster. You're a crazy person, and I know somebody like you would do something like that. So, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I, I'm. I listen. There are a lot of stories that you have told me over the last couple of months, and I'm not going to talk about your business on air. But uh, it's definitely a story. Or stories that would just make your, your head burst, okay? And even I'm healthier than Aaron Judge. <laughs> well, you're right. You were swimming today. You were soaking in your pitful It was a, lo- it was a lovely day for it. And, it was yeah. a lovely day for it. How hot was your pool today in Florida? Uh, I think it was like 87 degrees or something. 87 degrees. I mean, that's like, that's like a sauna. It's warm. Yeah. Yeah, it's warm. 
Yeah, but to, but when you get in it and it's a uh, hundred degrees outside, it feels great. Oh, I'm sure. I'm I'm not going to doubt you. And on by that. the way, your body's at what ninety eight point two or whatever your body's at, so yeah. it's still cooler than your body temperature, so it feels good. Well, I, I, listen, I'm not going to attack you on that. I, it's, I probably would be doing the same thing. Maybe so. if Alan Judge had a pool that he could get in, he wouldn't have all these. Injuries. Jeff, call back later. Sure Goodbye, Jeff. <laughs> Goodbye, Jeff. Jeez. And, and I'm sure Stevie agrees with me. Pete Alonso, best power. Hitter. Goodbye, I Jeff. Don't. <laughs> you don't agree with me? Who do you think? No, I don't. Power hitter in New York is Speedy. Goodbye, Jeff. He hates the Yankees. Oh, I'm not, I, I'm, I'll admit it. I'm a, I'm a Mets fan, but I'll admit that. Pete first Alonso of all, first of all, Aaron Judge. in a lot of ways this you year. You can argue Aaron Judge is the best power hitter in baseball. You, not right now. Shea Otani is. But I, last year he was the best power hitter in baseball. And when healthy, how many people do you believe that can keep up as far as home runs are concerned and, and really batting average to RBIs in the league to Aaron Judge? Last year... Or how about the last two years? And right now, Otani, what is he batting, 250? 250! Yeah, he's got a ton of home runs. No question. Yes, he has a ton of RBIs. But his batting average is 254 or something like that. That's not good. Aaron Judge, when he was hurt, he was batting 291. At one point, he was hitting over 300. And he, he was, what, second or third in the league in home runs before he got hurt? And he had how many less at-bats than Pete Alonso? And Pete Alonso only had three more home runs than him. Right. And Pete Alonso's only hit, I think, two since then, either. Right? It's he ridiculous. Hasn't, he, hasn't been, he hasn't been great since he's come back. In the last two weeks, he's been really bad. You know what it is? And I, I, I respect Jeff. I really do. I, I respect him as a person and as a sports fan. But there is something about Jeff when it comes to New York, New Yorkers, Anything about New York sports, this guy would put down New York sports against any sports, towns, cities, internationally. He doesn't care. The Yankees, New York, the Knicks, anybody, the Islanders, the Rangers, the Jets, the Giants, they all suck to our friend and pin in the ass, Jeff. So congratulations to Jeff for pissing me off even further for the rest of the show. Thank you. When we come back, we will be talking to producer of the Minus Three podcast, Edward Eddie Spaghetti Murphy, here on the Sports Loudmouths. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loudmouths. Six three one six seven two. 3108 is the number to call. You are listening to the Sports Loudmouths. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week, including the Loudmouths, which airs every single Wednesday at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. Great content, great guest, great shows. Listen to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network every single week. Go to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Before we introduce our guest, Jeff is posting up this garbage, okay? And, and I'm going to attack him here. He says... Pete Alonso stays healthy. He does not stay healthy. The last two seasons, the guy has missed a significant amount of time. So to say, and, and by the way, Snug also is probably sniffing Jeff's ass because he's saying, what's the best ability? Availability. <laughs> Shut the hell up. These guys, I swear to God, if one could lick the other one's ass, they would. Okay? That's just my opinion to that. Anyways, uh, let's get to our, 
our guest. We are now talking to the producer of the Minus Three podcast, Edward Eddie Spaghetti Murphy. Mr. Eddie, what's up, man? Hey, guys. Thank you for uh, having me on here in a, a crazy sports period. I mean, the Yankees are down, what, 13 nothing. <laughs> we got... Uh, uh, we're, we're constantly refreshing either Twitter or Threads app to see uh, where Damian Lillard goes. Just so much going on in sports. No, it's really the dog days of summer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm happy to be on here and, and chat with you guys. It, it's crazy because this is probably the worst time to talk sports because oh, yeah. there's really never anything going on. But with basketball, with Dame Lillard crying the blues, he wants to go to this team, he wants to go to that team, and then – with the Islanders and the Rangers, the moves, free agency, the NBA free agency, Donovan Mitchell could be a Nick before you know it. Anything's possible with New York sports. But why don't we get into it? Before we get into it, how are you and your family doing? The last time we spoke to you, COVID was – we were in the middle of COVID. Oh, wow. It has been that long. It's, yeah. um I mean, things are, are, are good. Uh, you mentioned before, obviously – Working uh, with Minus 3, the whole Extra Points Network. We've uh, partnered with Omaha, who uh, these guys, uh, their names are Peyton and Eli Manning. They, uh, <laughs> they run that. So it's cool to be a part with them. They're part of through ESPN. So uh, working with Caesar Sportsbook as well. So good stuff there. Go check out all that stuff. Uh, listen to our, our podcast, our show, get some gambling tips. Mm. And then, uh, yeah, everyone else has been good. I was back in New York actually not too long ago. just flew back a couple of days. Um, you know, some of that Canadian smoke was over <laughs> Staten Island, so couldn't really enjoy the, the blue skies as much. Now I'm back, and uh, I guess the weather's kind of picked up here in L.A. Our summer's kind of shifted, so uh, I'm, I'm enjoying the weather here. But I'll be back in Salem very, very soon. Always go back. Uh, good to go back east. Well, I will say this. Even if there's no smoke in Staten Island, there's a lot of, uh, you know, smells over there. That's for sure. A lot of garbage. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of garbage over there. Very so no true. matter what, you're going to be smelling something. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I couldn't tell, but like, what it, was it actually the smoke or just like the haze from the smog from the the dump? But uh, one of those two. I'm, I, I, my lungs are strong enough. I'm breathing that all. Well, out. you've been doing it for a long, long time, so why not? You come to New York, you're going to smell something. And usually, when you're in a city, you're smelling pizza, you're smelling sausages, or whatever the hell you want to eat over there because the food is outstanding. And where you are, I'm not sure about the food, but uh, the food over here is is what we always brag about: New York food. But why don't we get into it. The last time we had you on the show, okay, and we all know you're a Giant fan, and mm-hmm. you preached about Saquon Barkley. You were comparing him to some of the greatest running backs of all time. And then you mentioned that you love the Kenny Galladay move, that you thought it was a really good deal. Uh, what do you think now? Do you still think Saquon Barkley is one of the greatest running backs of all time? And, and how about this? Do you still believe that that Kenny Galladay contract was good? Ha. Well, I'm I definitely wrong about Galladay. Um, I'm not really sure what went on there. He just seems like a guy that got his paycheck, and he was like, okay, I'm checked out. <laughs> I don't need to. Uh, because, the, the, you know, obviously looking at that Giants roster and, and with how bad the injuries have been um, really for any team that, that plays in MetLife, but more so the Giants, I mean, the most injured team by far for I forget how many uh, seasons. But, you know, he would have been – such a useful piece and they just never made it work. And, you know, the Sterling Shepard injury and the Wanda Robinson injury, like if Kenny G step it up, uh, obviously with his size too in the red zone, Daniel Jones was, uh, I think per one of the stats that Warren Sharp tweeted out, like the, the best in the NFL at throwing inside of the 10 yard line really could have been useful there. Just never really got it going, dropped a lot of balls. So yeah, that was a miserable contract. That was the Gettleman era. We're on to bigger and better things now with, uh, with hmm. Joe Shane and Brian Dave. So happy about that. 
the Saquon thing is interesting, and I this is not his fault, or it's not. It, it, we're in a real problem now with what do you do with running backs in this league? Like running backs are now gonna ha- we're gonna get to a point where there's gonna be some sort of you know bargain agreement where you cannot like running backs are they deserve X amount of dollars because of their usage and stuff. I mean, there's now guys who are like 26, 27 years old. They're like, oh yeah, they're they're past their prime. Like it's insane. Like 27 now considered old in the NFL for running backs. And obviously we know teams don't want to use committees. Some teams don't even care about their running backs. The Chiefs do not care at all about their running backs. So what I'm trying to say is Saquon is super effective and the Giants are flat out a way worse team without him. But reversely, if you said, I don't want to pay a running back $12 million, $14 million a year, I'm not going to get on your case. So like, where is the middle ground now in the NFL in the year 2023? I don't know. I'm not a math guy. I'm not part of the league office, but something has to be done to figure out that because we're not going to see more of like Dalvin Cook, those types, those great running backs on the market forever because nobody wants to, to spend a dollar on them. So the two moves the Giants did make this offseason, Daniel Jones got a big contract and then Darren Waller trade. What do you think about those two? Uh, the, the Waller move was a home run. I mean, that came out of nowhere, sending, you know, uh, one of the extra picks they had for him to bring him from Vegas, who, I mean, if Jimmy G's foot's healthy, though, they could be okay. But what is okay in the division? I mean, you're, you're playing for, what, third uh, at best? Uh, that's, that's you know, that sort of, the Chiefs relocked that one up. And obviously the Chargers, uh, they collapsed last year, but probably should be the second-place team there. So good to see him get there. I think Jones needs a, a safety blanket like that. Uh, he did like Daniel Bellinger, who was the tight end or is still the tight end too now, but had the eye injury. Um, so I'm really happy for him. And, and I've been, you know, patting the table for Daniel Jones forever. I knew this guy is going to outwork everyone, which is, he's always done every offseason. He just kind of had the bad luck of having a new coach slash coordinator in every season of his career. Finally, now, this is like the first time ever he has Mike Kafka, who's, you know, running the offense. Uh, and Dable, obviously, uh, two years in a row. So, I mean, it's, it's awesome to see that. Um, his legs are going to be a huge factor, and the offensive line got a lot better, I think, with this draft. So I only like Jones to just get better as he goes on in his career. Um, it does help to have Saquon behind him, so you need to get him back there because having a guy that you can just check it down to is huge. And I mentioned before those, those devastating injuries, losing Sterling Shepard, losing Wandale Robinson, now you're bringing in Jalen Hyatt in the draft who, like, experts had, oh, he can go in the first, got mm-hmm. him in the third round. He was awesome at Tennessee. Um, Hen Hooker's number one target. And then you, you know, bring in a guy like Waller while still having Bellinger tight end, too. Um, and they signed Paris Campbell, who you know, is a sneaky, underrated move, uh, one of the fastest receivers in the league. It's not a core that's going to wow you, but the depth now is pretty good. And uh, having a guy like Waller, who is an all-pro type tight end, a lot of these fantasy guys right now are loving him. I think he's going to see a lot of targets, a lot of red zone targets. Um, so uh, a great move by Joe Shannon. We are talking to the producer of the Minus 3 podcast, Edward Eddie Spaghetti Murphy. You know, it's so funny because I've called a bunch of shows and uh, I've interviewed on a ton of shows. And everybody loves this Darren Waller move. But if you look at Darren Waller's numbers the last two seasons, he hasn't been healthy. And he, he's not his production has dropped from what he was. Now, I understand they only had to give a third-round draft pick, and I understand uh, he wanted to come here. His wife plays, I think, for the Liberty. So uh, he's here half the season anyways, spending time with his family. So he wanted to come here. But here's the problem. The guy can't stay healthy. So I don't understand why a lot of these experts believe that because he's going to the Giants, he's going to stay healthy. Sometimes just a simple change of scenery helps people. Um, You know, maybe things are just getting kind of sideways with Derek Carr. Uh, I think there's no bones about it that, you know, the addition 
of bringing in Josh McDaniels as head coach was just a terrible move for the Raiders. Like it seems like they wanted uh, the coaching staff to stay in place after the dismissal of, of Gruden and just promote from within. That didn't go that way. You bring in McDaniels changes everything. And um, that's why they moved on from Derek Carr. And it's why Darren Waller was, you know, being dangled as a piece. You're right about the injury concerns. If he, you know, if he plays 10, 11, 12 games, let's just say, and he's still effective, that's fine. I would sign up for that. Again, having Bellinger as a, as a reliable tight end, too, it's, it, it's okay. And the Giants are a ground-based team. I'm assuming Saquon will be in the backfield. And obviously, we saw what Dalen Jones did with his legs. So it'll hurt in the sense of not having that big that big weapon in the, the red zone. But I think now with the, the depth of the receiving core and having 26 behind Dalen Jones, that's always helpful. But it, it, it doesn't. it's a move that's not going to hurt the Giants because they really give up that much draft capital. Uh, and they still made a. They had, in my opinion, a, a phenomenal draft, especially the first three rounds. So, um, giving up the additional third round pick for a guy that could be a Pro Bowler, I'm not going to get too mad about it. So we've seen uh, you do a lot of these uh, the sports betting shows on your show with you and Dave and Dave Dave, Dave Damashek and those guys, and we've seen a lot now with these players getting suspended for these uh, gambling charges too. Some for the full season, some for six games. I'm sure you guys have discussed it. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's a it's a tough one. You know. I could be honest about it now because I'm a few years removed from it, but I used to work at the NFL um, and like they had rules for employees where if we, you know, let's just say us three, we started a fantasy league, invited some people and I won. Um, I would get fired if I made uh, $251 as a prize like amount. You, they cap it at 250. If you guys took pictures of me walking through a casino, um, I can get fired for that. Like there are some insane rules the NFL puts on its employees and the players um, you know, do I think, is it a good idea for a player to bet on his own team, either for or against, or a player on his team, like some of the guys in the Colts did? Probably not. Um, you know, if you're a player in the Colts and the Monday night football game is uh, an NFC team, but another NFC team, not, not in your division, you have no bearing on the game. Uh, am I going to get upset about it? Like, probably not. Like, if you're not involved in it. So it's one of these things where it's very dicey because you have the league now sponsored by, uh, DraftKings and FanDuel and Caesars and MGM and the like. But so when every commercial are, are those places and then you're telling your players you can't do that, it's kind of hypocritical. So the, the Shield always wants to protect the Shield first and foremost. They don't really care about the players. But um, this is a problem that's not going to go away. And seeing even bigger name guys like Calvin really get suspended and James Williams, I think he's six games. A lot of guys are going to get suspended indefinitely depending on the severity of what they're betting on. So it's a problem that we're just seeing like to be like, this is the tip of the iceberg. I think it's going to get a lot worse because then you don't want to, you want to avoid a, uh, a Tim Donahue kind of scenario from the NFL. But um, I, I think, you know, it, it could get ugly uh, as more States increase, you know, the legality of betting. Like right now in California, I can't bet on my phone. You can't bet on your phone in Texas, can't bet on your phone uh, in Florida. Those are massive States. And when those flip and plus those three States, a lot of players live there. A lot of players grew up there. Um, so like I said, it's just going to get, it's going to get ugly and it's going to be, there will be future changes that again, I'm not, you know, in position of power to make them, but I, I'm, I guess I'm pretty lenient considering that I used to work for them and I hated the rules and I work for a gambling company now. And I think gam- gambling is you know relatively harmless. Eddie, before we get into some basketball, what were your thoughts with the Aaron Rodgers trade one and number mm-hmm. two, what were your thoughts with some of the moves that the jets have made in the off season to make their team a contender? I think that it was a great move. Uh, bringing in Aaron Rodgers, clearly wanted to move on from Green Bay. I feel like he wanted to move on from Green Bay from, you know, how many seasons now? It's been every offseason. Is he, is he retiring? Is he moving on? Um, they don't ever draft offensive help. 
I think they needed a clean break. Obviously, Rodgers gets a lot of flack in the media nowadays, you know, from his stances and other things. And I think people kind of hold that against him. But um, he might have not played his best football last year, but we're not too far away from, like, the guy winning MVP awards. So, you know, if you asked any Jet fan, and and I asked Bunny, I was like, hey, I mean, you want to run it back with Zach Wilson? You want to, you know, plug in someone else? You want to, you know, a Derek Carr? You want to make a run for Lamar Jackson and pay him? Or do you want Rodgers who's forcing his way to your team? They're like, it's got to be Rodgers. Like, this is the guy that wants to play there. Um, obviously, he partnered in a bunch of receivers. Their offensive line, uh, you know, they, they, they have some pieces there. If, like, Makai Beckton specifically stays healthy and get on the field, he's a dominant force. Um, obviously, I have to hope for Brees Hall to be healthy. But I like what they have going on in offense. And their defense was awesome last year. I mean, with, with Sauce Gardner being the, the stud there, one of the best defensive players in the league, let alone cornerback. So they have the pieces in place. Uh, I think Robert Sala is the head coach to get it done. Their problem, much like the Giants' problem, is that their division, the two of the better teams, in my opinion, in the the, the conference are in that division uh, with the Bills and the Dolphins. I don't think the Patriots, unless you guys think differently, I don't think the Patriots are really no. going to be in the running for that. No, I love um, the Dolphins, so a lot. <laughs> and that's that's the thing. If Tua stays healthy, he's automatically an MVP candidate because of the There's the word, if, if. Tua stays right. healthy. Well, if he listens to what Michael Vick just said, <laughs> uh, a, le- a mobile lefty quarterback, he has to put on 10 to 15 pounds. So it's, so what is it, July 6th? Mm-hmm. Tua, you got a couple months, uh, bulk up a little bit. <laughs> and then he said just to flat out not get hit when you're running. Like it, some guys are just not good at getting out of bounds or sliding. Uh, Zach you know, Wilson. Like, <laughs> well, Zach Wilson, yeah. Jimmy but G, too. Are, that's how he got hurt, his major injury. Exactly. exactly. But there are some guys who are, are really good at it. Michael Vick was awesome at it. Lamar Jackson, really good at avoiding hits. Uh, that kind of like slippery way to run. And I think if Tua does that and he's healthy, um, they, they're going to be great. And I, the Bills, I, as long as Josh Allen's behind center, they're not going to go anywhere. So it just stinks the Jets in a year that they can really make a push for her in a really, really tough division. But I still think they're a playoff team. Great move for them. And if they could somehow, you know, win on the road, I'm, which I'm assuming, with if Rodgers has a chip on his shoulder, there, there's sometimes there's no better quarterback ever we've never seen a better quarterback than when Rodgers really locked in on pure talent level so uh if you're a Jets fan you gotta be really excited so I know you're a Knicks fan as well and uh they've been in talks last year for Donovan Mitchell looked like he was going to go there for a while now there's another rumor that Cleveland could trade him if they struggle so him and also Luka Doncic who mentioned he does love playing with Jalen Brunson and might have some issues with Dallas and Kyrie Irving could you see either one of those two as realistic for the Knicks maybe not this offseason but maybe even during the season I think Knicks fans would give up their firstborn to have <laughs> Luca, you know, uh, play in the garden. You know, there there were some rumors too. Uh, I just saw even earlier today about uh, a draft day trade for Paul George. He's been the name that's been floated a lot. A lot Please too. no. Please yeah, there's no. just something bad. I don't. I don't really want to. I know like they, they already made the move to trade away Obi Toppin, but to to trade for guys who are on the, the north side of thirty and and bigger contracts. They had a good thing going last year. They played the Heat, you know, relatively well. Um, so it, it's like, do you want to have a team where Jalen Brunson is the lead guy and you have Julius Randle be like the, the, the side, you know, kind of uh, the, the option B and then just run it back with the younger guys they have or in, in hope that, you know, RJ continues to develop and Mitchell Robinson becomes more of an offensive threat. That's one way to look at it. You know, I think we're in an era now of the NBA where you have to go for it and try to get in that superstar and, and try to make up these uh, super teams here. But uh, it's it's they finally built things the right way. And last year in the Garden, the, this playoff run, we saw how electric it was. It felt good to root for a team that that you could take seriously and had like a, a bright future ahead of it. It felt different than 
you know, what was that, that, that Carmelo, the 54 win, um, yep. yeah, 2013. Like right. And he won the that, scoring title and everything. Yep. Yeah. And that, that year just felt like it was just a short, it was going to be a short time. And I feel like this next thing now you could actually see this happening for years and years and years. And so I would be really skeptical on who is available. A guy like Donovan Mitchell, obviously who was close to coming here last year and he is younger and I think he would fit in really nicely, but it, again, it does depend on what you're giving up. Do you want to give up on RJ Barrett already? Uh, I mean, it's funny that looking at that draft with Zion and then Ja and then RJ going third, like while RJ doesn't have the the ceiling of those guys the, the, or the potential, at least he's available, um, which I guess it, it counts for something. So if you want to give up on him and he's the focal point of a trade and you throw in a guy like Grimes or somebody and, and obviously a bunch of picks and you can bring in Mitchell – and then maybe you're actually contending in the East, depending on how some of these remaining free agents go. And now if Damian Lillard comes to the East, obviously it makes it a lot harder. Boston trades away um, Jalen Brown. You know, if some teams get worse, Harden's obviously in the 76ers. Then you're for the Knicks, you go, maybe we could go for it. Maybe we could be a surprise team to make uh, the ECF or something. So I think it just really depends on who the player is. But if it's Luka, I don't see a scenario that Luka's going to be available. But if he ever is, all the pain and suffering that we've gone through with the drafts and, and the guys who promised they're going to come this way. And then you finally get Luca, who's a legitimate megastar. That'd be amazing. We are talking to the producer of the minus three podcast, Edward Eddie Spaghetti Murphy. You know, it's funny. I, and I don't know if you know this statistic and I'm going to give you a statistic so you can use it for your own show. Mm-hmm. RJ Barrett and Luca Doncic are the only players in NBA history with 4,000 points, 1,400 rebounds, 700 assists and 433 pointers. Before turning the age of 23. Did you know that? I did not know that the specific stat. This is a weird, you know, on Twitter, there's this weird, and I follow a ton of Knicks guys, a ton of NBA guys, and you see like half of them are always pointing out stats similar to that, saying, you know, RJ is performing well, and he has definitely has stretches, and then you have the other half who are like, he's not amounting to something. I think the problem with, with him and the, the naysayers is like that he was in a draft with two guys who are, I mean, the amount of coverage they both They're stars, yeah. They're they're bona fide stars. And I feel like that his like him not reaching that potential, that level, it's it's like okay. It's he does not have to be the level of John Moran when John Moran's on the court and playing and not getting the trouble. And the same thing with Zion, uh, when he's actually in shape and playing, they're great. But when but like I said before, if they're you know, Jaw's already out twenty five games and that's if he does nothing else wrong. If he does something else wrong again, like we're looking at season long uh, suspensions that's gonna ruin his career. And with Zion, I mean, I'm not confident to say he'll play more than half a season this year, if, if even half. So, again, RJ, if he keeps improving, that third pick looks a lot better. But, than a, a to Eddie, if you look at those numbers, he's being compared to Luka Doncic. They're the only two players in NBA history to do and have those numbers before the age of 23. So for anybody to say, hey, you know what, John Morant and Zion Williamson were the better players in that draft, right now – Obviously, they're the superstars of that draft. That doesn't mean that R.J. Barrett, at the age of 23, going to be 24, he can't go into the season and really take two steps forward. He's Every single year, he's been better. And, and what he did in the playoffs this year was magnificent. The problem with R.J. is he forces too many threes. If R.J. knows his strength by going to the hole and drawing fouls, R.J. is going to go to the free throw line more than usual. James Harden has really dominated the league by doing that. And if R.J. does that and he uses that to his strength, he's just as good as John Morant when it comes to numbers and a Zion Williamson. He just needs to figure out his strengths. 
I I do agree with you. I, I am on, I am pro RJ. I think RJ definitely has improved from year in year out. I definitely think that he still has a lot of room to improve and keep getting better, which is exciting. Um, he's very similar to me in a sense of like a Daniel Jones, where people have already made their minds up on him, and no matter what he does, they're not going to really say, okay, he's a good player. I think that's kind of like what is happening to RJ. But then when you compare him, like, and I agree with you, stat wise, sure. But sometimes the stats are a little misleading because, again, if you're starting a franchise and you're saying you're going to want R.J. Barrett, you're going to want Luka Doncic, not a single person is ever going to pick R.J. Barrett. No, of course not. Of course not. And, and again, if you have have the ball with the clock running out, your final shot, are you really confident in R.J. taking that shot? No. I'm sure. But Luka, you want the ball in Luka's hands because he's an ice-cold killer. So, like, there is some pushback to what you're saying. But I'm on your side. I'm pro-R.J. And I think giving up on him a little too early – um, when he could become a player that's similar to, if not better than a Donovan Mitchell type, then you may look stupid giving up a bunch of picks with it as well. So um, I, I'm I'm weirdly okay if the Knicks want to just run it back in the with the roster they have, so to speak. Um, I, I don't think it's the worst thing. So Damian Lillard's agent came out today and said that he would be very disappointed if he's traded anywhere else other than the Heat. One, how much do you believe this story? Wah! And two, cry baby. Would other teams maybe be incentivized to do it as a rental, even if they still want to trade for somebody like Dane, if they think they're ready? I, I hate this because I hate the story because uh, for years and years and years, Dane was like, I'm never leaving Portland. Mm-hmm. I'm staying up here. I'm staying in the Pacific Northwest. All these other guys, you know, the, the KDs and the LeBrons and the, I mean, James Harden, Kyrie <laughs> Irving, all these guys switch teams like, you know, you forget what team they were on a year ago. Um, and now Dane's finally doing it. And I, don't, I don't blame him as much because Portland never really seemed to make. Like, the best player they ever had next to him was C.J. McCollum, mm-hmm. who they traded away, and he was the guy they drafted. Um, so they hit on a draft pick, and, and out of Lehigh, a relatively smaller school. So, like, good on them for doing that. Obviously, Dane was from a small Wizzy Weaver State, smaller school as yeah. well. So they could draft, but they never made the conscious effort to really bring in guys via trades or free agency. And I understand him being frustrated by that. I'm, I'm okay with that. When you have your agent doing dirty work and saying – I'm, I don't want to play in Boston. I don't want to play in Utah or the other teams that were involved. I know that Golden State uh, came out recently that if they didn't make the trade for Chris Paul, he would have went there. So, like, kind of forcing your way to Miami, I think with already a lot of fans or, or former fans of the NBA get kind of bothered by this because they're so tired of these players, like these stars dictating the league. We don't see that anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like, there's – you know, in the, I'm a huge NHL guy. I and mean, how about, like, you know, if Connor McDavid was crying about, you know, the, the <laughs> – not bring enough, you know, defensive help or goalie help. It's the same exact thing, and he doesn't do that. So I think Dame now doing this or having his agent, you know, calling teams, being like, "Well, you could trade for him, but he's going to hate your guts." It's like you're you're making people who already have an axe to grind, like you're proving them right. So I mean, he deserves to be on a winner. Uh, he's a guy that you want the ball in his hands late in the game, and I think him and Jimmy Butler together would be awesome to watch. But it does rub me the wrong way that he's now forcing team. And like, what's the why wouldn't you want to go to Boston? Like Boston was right there at the mm-hmm. end of the year. Why wouldn't you want to go even with Golden State with with Chris Paul? It's like I mean, Chris Paul is a little, how old? He's thirty eight now. It's like there's so many other great teams that are going to make deep playoff runs. Utah just won. If he was on Utah with Jamal Murray and and uh, Jokic, I mean that's that team's not going to lose. So like there's so many good options. But he wants to be in Miami. He wants to be in South Beach. Um, you know, tax free living, live in the South, live, live literally on the beach. Great weather. I don't blame him for that, but the the gross way that he's making his agent do this this um, this scheme they they plotted is uh, is pretty 
pretty disgusting. And by the way, he also mentioned the Nets. Why would he want to go to the Nets? They've been a clown show for the last couple of years. And one of the two teams that he wanted to go to was the Nets or the Heat because he wanted to play with, uh, I don't know, anybody on that Nets team. I, 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 I can't even tell you who I would want to play on that Nets team. There is a couple of guys. Bridges is a pretty good player. But uh, there's nothing that stands out for the Nets. And as far as the Heat is concerned, they might have one more year to make another attempt for a championship. After that, Jimmy Butler is, what, 34, 35 years old? He's getting up there in age. Bam Adebayo, he's a good player. And that's the guy he wants to play with. But is he really a great player? He really isn't. He's an overpaid big man. So... I, I don't know why he wants to go there, but that's just me. We are talking to the producer of the Minus 3 podcast, Edward, Eddie, Spaghetti, Murphy. Let's finish up with baseball because I know you're a baseball fan. The New York Yankees. And I know we were just arguing with Jeff about Aaron Judge. There were stories. Buster only came out today, and he says that the Yankees believe he'll be back at the end of July. Uh, he's not going to be 100% healthy. He did come out and say that no matter what, he's probably not going to be healthy for the next one, two, or even three years. What are your thoughts to Aaron Judge coming back? Do you think it makes a big difference if he decides to sit out for the season? Or do you believe the Yankees need him in the lineup if Brian Cashman can't make a trade at the trade deadline? They for sure need him, and you, and that's even with – I mean, I thought the Yankees would be aggressive at the deadline with Judge. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is definitely a year that Cashman and Boone are like, the seat's getting kind of warm. Uh, we got to do something. we got to make a deep playoff run, if not, you know, World Series appearance. They were going to be aggressive as it is, just based on the fact that, uh, obviously, with, like, you know, they go into the season trying to use Aaron Hicks, they DFA'd him, and then also going into the season thinking that the pitching was going to lead the charge – and then you don't have Rodon, uh, who's going to come back very, very soon. But Rodon having his injury. So I'm like, you know, this is opening day. I'm like, well, they'll be aggressive at the deadline. Judge's injury, which is funny because I was at the first game of the Dodgers series. They lost that game. And then they won the next two. And the next one where Judge hit the home run, the amazing catch. Their their concrete wall and fence and the chain, whatever it was, that messed up his toe. It's a strange injury to tear a, a, a ligament in your toe. I mean, I know he said he's swearing off surgery for uh, until the off season, which is fine. That to me indicates he's coming back. Like him saying that I'm not, if he wanted to be out, he would have had the surgery now and go, Hey guys, I know that this is a bummer, but I'll see you next year. He in his mind is like, I signed this contract. I was following up my all time season last year with another great season. So I want to play. Um, if he comes back in by the end of July, I don't, from what it said this week with him hitting off a tee and barely being able to run, I don't see July happening. I think he's more of like a right before the playoff sort of guy. And uh, it may at best, maybe early August. So, um, I mean, a lot more DHing, obviously. Well, I, I don't think that's what I believe field. Um, so, which is not the worst thing either, because again, John Carlos Stanton is a way better hitter when he's playing the field, mm-hmm. which is a, a strange thing. So, um, and now with Volpe like, being it, like he changes batting stance and the guy's hitting everything and Harrison Bader has been awesome. There's enough going right right now that I think if they go get a piece or two of the deadline and, and then plus with Radon coming back, having another ace, um, if he's, you know, back to his usual self and their bullpen has been great. Their bullpen has been phenomenal. It's been the strongest point of the team. Um, I'm not ready to be like, yeah, the world series is on, but I think they're, they're a contender. They're at least a player in the AL to, to go far, uh, to go for, you know, deep enough. So it, they, but they need judge. Like we saw that in month. Um, you know, that month of June with how bad they were, 
uh, without him, everyone batting below the Mendoza line, it like it just makes you scratch your head. Like it doesn't make any sense. But when he's in the in the lineup, then you have guys like Rizzo and, and the Machine. They're hitting everything. So Judge is just so good and, and puts so much fear into pitchers that it makes life easy for everyone. That's why he is the MVP. I could see an August return, and they just they got to be aggressive at the deadline. That's it's really no bones about it. I'm we're tired of this like. Hal Steinbrenner iteration of the Yankees where they're not aggressive and they're okay with losing to the Blue Jays and the Orioles, uh, uh, you know, and the, the Reds. Like, this is ne- ne- this never was okay. It was like Yankees, Red Sox, you never lost the other teams. The Rays now owning you? Like, no, this, is, this can't happen anymore. So I want to move on to the Rangers. A uh, two-parter here with the Rangers, one of which uh, from just the offseason. What, what do you think about the Peter Laviolette hire? And two, I know uh, you work with Dave Damashek, who's a big Penguins fan. How much did you rub yeah. it in on him last year when they came back down 3-1? <laughs> oh, man, we should have started with – I could talk – I mean, the Rangers – I, I, of all the teams we talked about, I would, I would give up anything in my life to see a Rangers Cup. Like, I, I – that's the – you know, the I may miss some Yankees games here and there and some Knicks games, but Rangers, I'm watching all 82 – plus the playoffs. Um, and that series, it just kind of coincided with my 30th birthday. My parents and my brother flew out here in LA. We're having a good time and like watching, you know, the series, the way it went where they had, you know, they were struggling. They were down three, one and then coming back. I'm like, they're not going to do it. They're going to lose. Like, and they Rangers dominated the penguins in the regular season. Um, I don't even get lost the game to them. Uh, or if they did, they might've lost like one goal, but they had like, it was like four, one, whatever the series was, they, they owned them. Like, I'm not even thinking twice, but this Penguins team, they're old, they're washed up. The Rangers, like, this is their window. Um, and then all the craziness happens with obviously with Tristan Jari getting hurt and putting in Louis Domingue and he's stealing games. And then everyone wants to cry about the true of a hit on Crosby. And then, you know, but you had a multi-goal lead in every game without Crosby and you still found a way to lose. Um, the Rangers coming back and winning that, uh, you know, the, the game six was amazing. And, and then the game seven with Panarin in overtime, I remember like I was at a restaurant, like my dad, like flipped off his shirt to show his other Rangers <laughs> shirt underneath. And I mean, we were hugging the waitress. It was, it was awesome. That was just a great time, but I don't need to rub it in because again, like Dave's seen a lot of cup wins with this Pittsburgh Penguins team. And I have yet, I was two years old when the Rangers won in 94. So oh, you're um, a baby. I was a baby. So I'm really waiting to see that happen. Um, the, you know, to answer the Laviolette thing, the NHL, you know, the, the NFL gets made fun of for the retreads, the, the hiring, the guys that have been around and they got fired from this place and that place. And it's like the old boys club, but the NHL is the one that really does that. I believe like 16 coaches are all retreads. Um, you know, labs was a guy that had success pretty much everywhere besides Washington recently. Uh, I'm not really a fault of his own. That was kind of a team that's just running, you know, they won the cup. And they're like, all right, whatever. We'll just keep running back the same squad. And obviously they're aging as well on a very tough Metro. But he was great in Nashville and, and, and obviously great in Carolina where he won the Cup. So I felt pretty good about that uh, and that he will implement a system because I'm just so tired of seeing, you know, the bread man skating up the left side, stop, and then shoot a, a cross-ice pass against deflected or turnover. They were just a team that was just so bad in that Devil series. And you can say what you want about having uh, the, the bad matchup, you know, because the Devils are this high-flying team in transition, and the Rangers would have been better matching up versus the Hurricanes. I'm not even sure if it would have mattered. Like, I don't even care the Rangers own the Hurricanes. Like, they just they just looked like not the same team. Like, something happened after that game, too, where they were just – they were not playing with any drive, and they black and red a term, they beat themselves because the Devils weren't that impressive at all. I like the younger guys and the minors. They have to, to call, but they need to, and I think they made some great cheap signings bringing in um, like Blake Wheeler, for example, on the, the bottom six is an awesome move. It's going to get interesting now to see where Tarasenko ends up. I know he doesn't really want to go to Carolina. He wants to stay in New York, but we don't really have the capacities for that. 
I would not be shocked if Patrick Kane comes back on a very cheap deal because he wants to win another cup. But, um, you know, the big thing, obviously, is just making sure that the top players stay healthy, which is obvious, and then the, uh, the progression of uh, Capococco and Alexi Lafreniere. And if those guys take another step forward, then we have, in my opinion, the best goalie in the world. So the Rangers will be <laughs> in the playoffs again. So um, it'll be one of those things where could they actually get over the hump this time? And we'll see. You know, I love you, man. I really do. The best goalie in the world. He is. <laughs> Well, you, you forgot you forgot about a goalie that plays for the Islanders too. Elias Sorokin's great, but I, I think you're out of your mind. Uh, how am I out of my mind? Every look at look at Sorokin's record against him. Look at Sorokin's record I, in I the mean, KHL. Head to head matchup, head to head matchup versus, I mean, and non-pressure games. Oh, I mean, stop! They they haven't nah. played in the playoffs yet against one another. And but when they did in the KHL of... in the championship, who won? Who won? So we're now we're now gonna raise. Hey, hey, listen, hey, listen. We went with the Saquon Barkley. I'm not gonna. We we could go back and forth on this. For you to say that Sorokin, the Rangers have the best goalie in the world. Now I like him. I I think he's a great goaltender. He's one of the top three, top four goalies. But to say that he's the best goalie in the world, uh, this year he didn't prove that. And and by the way, there were there were spots all season long where he was giving up really bad goals. And 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 to me. I love what they did with Jonathan Quick. Jonathan Quick is a great goalie. He's a great backup. Oh, see, I disagree with that completely. But, but you don't Jonathan, think he's a good backup? Oh, no. I mean, Jonathan Quick, is, he was miserable for the Kings. I think. I mean, bringing him from back to the, almost the same money and letting Jarlock go. And I know Hlock started off like... Hlock stinks. Or whatever it was. <laughs> but, no, but he was fine the rest of the way. I, I think Quick is just... Uh, he. It was basically like, oh, you grew up a Rangers fan in Connecticut or whatever. Like, let's just bring you in. I, I, I wouldn't really love that, that Jonathan Quick move. But, well, first uh, of all, Jonathan Quick won a Stanley Cup. Actually won two Stanley Cups. And he was a big yes. part of the reason why they did that. And, and to help out maybe the young goaltender and, and, and give him some pointers as a goalie right now. And you say an elite goalie in the league. Uh, it, it doesn't hurt to have Jonathan Quick on the bench. And he's going to give you maybe good quality starts. I think Jonathan Quick is a good goalie. He's not the same goalie he once was when he won those Stanley Cups, but he's still a guy that understands how to win them. And and by the way, Peter Laviolette is a great hire. He is a fantastic hire. I think he's been the best hire for any of the Ranger coaches that they've had. But look how many Ranger coaches they've had in the last, what, seven years? It hasn't been good for the Rangers. And, and by the way, Panarin is an overrated player. The guy does not show up in the playoffs. He's not shown up in the playoffs. And and half of these players, they just they're great regular season players. But when it comes to the playoffs, they just don't produce. And that's why the Devils outplayed them in the first round. They're young, they're fast, and they're even better than they were last year adding the pieces that they added. So I think the Rangers are not going to be as good, especially the first year with Peter Laviolette, as they were last year uh, with uh, Gallant, which I thought they pushed Gerard Gallant out a lot quicker than I thought they should have. The year before, they were one of the best teams in the league, and now the second year, they decide, hey, you know what? We're going to part ways with him because, uh, I don't know, uh, Chris Drury doesn't get along with him. Yeah, I mean, I I think that he's a guy that his track record shows that he, you know, is good for a couple seasons, mm-hmm. and then he kind of, like, loses the locker room. I think Labs at least, is a guy that, you know, if you read all the stuff that the, the Flyers talked about him and, and uh, the year that they uh, – who they lose to, I think they lost to the Blackhawks, mm-hmm. like – he turned everything around for them. They loved him. I think that's something that we needed because Gallant definitely did not really get along with some players. Uh, the coach before him, what, Quinn, that definitely didn't get along with some players. So, you know, there's just been – they and they tried, you know, let's go the college route. Let's go to the guy that 
did win a cup. It's got a, you know, Vigneault almost won a cup. I don't love the retread. I think I would have been fine with promoting maybe Knobloch from the AHL or trying a younger guy on the bench somewhere else in a, in a system that would work. Um, I mean, I can't argue with you that Panarin didn't show up at all in the playoffs. Uh, you know, Mika's the same thing. He's a guy that's definitely more of a power play I player. I like Mika. They, they five, better – they need to but keep I, him. But I think the defense uh, – I think their lower – their bottom six will be a lot better. I think their defense will be a lot better, which will make life a lot easier for uh, Igor. So I, I do think the Rangers will be – you know, if you, if you still want to put the Hurricanes and Devils ahead of the Rangers like it was this year, that's fine. I still think the Rangers – they're still going to be a playoff team. Um, and, you know, the Devils, the, the big game was game three, losing that in overtime. The Rangers had five power play chances, didn't convert on one. If they convert on one, that series was 3-0. The series is over, the Rangers advance. And then they then they play a Hurricanes team who was banged up, who are missing some of their top guys. And the Rangers, like, just don't ever lose the Hurricanes. So, you know, the NHL playoffs are such a fickle beast because you don't know which way it could turn. And, and obviously, if, you know, if they did advance, then who would have known what could have happened? We could have been having a different conversation right now. But ultimately, not upset with how this uh, you know season turned out. Great to see Golden Knights win one. I, I Knowing the Rangers, this. luckily, probably uh, the, the Florida Panthers might have beaten them with a game-winning goal for Mark Stahl. And, and also, yeah. when you look at Lafreniere and Capococco, these guys have not shown up the last couple of years. This guy, Lafreniere was the number one pick. The guy has been a shell of what anybody thought he was going to be. And Capococco, I was at the draft, and I liked the kid. He's tall, nice kid, had a conversation with him. Great kid. He has not really shown up to be the player that everybody thought, the Finnish player, uh, superstar player in the Junior World Cup and everything like that. He just has not produced for the New York Rangers. And if they don't produce this year, the Rangers need to decide what they're going to do with him because I, I think they're overrated. I thought they were overrated when they brought him in. Well, this this is definitely the make or break year. It's one of those things that's tough. Where I mean, if you look on again on their 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 averages and their five on five stuff, like you know Lafreniere does uh, contribute uh, equally. He doesn't get power play time. He does not get power play one or power play two time. Uh, they tried a little bit in the second power play line in the playoffs, but you have to also remember that this guy is getting. They're both getting pushed to the third line, like the kid line with Heedle centering Laf and and Kako. Love that kid, by the way. Heedle is a good player. Yes, and he's shown that what he could do in his, his limited time on the ice, but they're not playing the same minutes as like a Jack Hughes who, and to the devil's credit, they drafted Jack Hughes who struggled mightily his first couple seasons. They're like, you're going to play in the top line, just keep playing a ton of time you know, per game, and you're going to get beat up, and then you're going to figure it out, and then you're going to be you know, a star, and that's what they did with him, and, and they did a really good job. Whereas with the Rangers, because they were in this win cup now mode sort of thing, and you have megastars like... Uh, Panera and you have Kreider and you have the, the top lines already filled out with all these, you know, they bring in guys like Kane that go on the power play, bring in Tarasenko on the power play. There's no room for them. So this is finally a year where they're going to, you know, probably move up those guys, especially Kako. I could see him being on the first line um, because of his puck position is just outstanding. He's probably the best on the team in terms of holding onto the puck. Um, their skating is bad. They have to learn how to skate better, which is insane to say as people who went number one, number two overall in the NHL draft and are in the NHL, but their skating is to be a lot better. Uh, mentioned a guy like Jack Hughes, a young kid who could just fly around the ice. You want to see them more like that. But, you know, I think best case scenario for a guy like Lafreniere, I always say this is like a comp, is like um, a Brad Marchand sort of player where he has a little bit of grit to him and it'll score some goals because, I mean, the goals that, that Lafreniere has scored in the past, like he's always scored these highly real goals. Like when, when he gets, like when he's out of his, like, you know, thinking too much on the ice making plays, he looks outstanding, but then it's uh, it's tough when he has games without scoring. So that that's obviously the biggest, you know, thing of the Rangers season is how good could uh, their two, you know, young 
top draft picks uh, be because if they and if they struggle, then then yeah, then they're going to look to you know get rid of those guys. And then what scares you is that all these players are now north of thirty years old. Um, like I mentioned, Kreider and Breadman, all those. So um, yeah, there's still some young pieces, but they really need to start contributing to to be a real factor uh, for this team to actually win a cup. Eddie, thank you for the time. You're fantastic. Keep up the good work. We'll get you on a lot sooner than later. I know you're very tired. You look tired, man. How, how, how's everything going uh, over there in L.A.? You like L.A.? Um, you know, things are up and down here. It's, um, I don't know, I, I, it's, it's kind of worn on me a bit. Um, you can't complain about the weather, but, you know, we had 12, 13 weeks. I need to live near the water. Like, this marine layer has been killing me every day, waking up cloudy, cloudy. It finally kind of broke a, a couple weeks ago. Um, you know, they're don't really want to figure out this, this crime and homelessness problem. So, you know, I'm always looking to maybe move somewhere else, but uh, I'm lucky to be living close to, you know, you know, Dave and, and cousin Sal and all the guys we work with at extra points, which is a, a great place. So we're lucky to uh, have a great crew there. And, you know, we're, like you said before, it's the dog days of summer, not really much going on. So <laughs> trying to really, uh, find content anywhere. So I'm um, hopefully I gave you guys enough uh, airtime and oh, yeah, get fantastic. me back on. Closer to closer to kickoff, so we could get into some uh, college and pro football. Well, I will say this: uh, every time we have you on, we we argue about something. So it, it wouldn't have been an interview that really stuck out until the interv- the interview had some kind of fighting. But we really I get, appreciate you. I get appease you on this. I'll say <laughs> I, I put if you want to make a list of the top three to five goaltenders, I say they're both with easily with with that without even second guessing they're both easily on that list of uh, best cultures in the NHL. I would say four of the top 5 are Russian. So yeah. <laughs> it's Very it's true. crazy. It's unbelievable. These Russian goaltenders, I, I don't know what maybe they're eating their Wheaties or something. I don't know. <laughs> Hopefully they're not part of the Russian doping program with the Olympians. <laughs> yeah, I I don't want to I don't I don't need a season long suspension for Igor. No. Then, uh, but they're buddies. Cancel me as fan play. Oh yeah, I mean they're all everyone's all they're all friends. Yes. Growing up in Germany they're they're very there. close, by the way. They hung out in Christmas time. Uh, him, Romanov, and, and they're they're very very close. So, and that's why the Islanders brought Romanov in is because he's very close with Sorokin. So I I, I understand what the Islanders are doing, and I understand what the Rangers are doing. And if Alex DeBrincat gets traded to the Islanders, it it could be something very very interesting moving forward. And and, and as the stories come out, the Red Wings and the Islanders are reportedly the favorites of getting. Alex to bring it. So I don't know what the Islanders are going to give up, but it seems like uh, Lou Lamorello likes to trade their first round draft pick. So I wouldn't be surprised if he trades another one. So <laughs> I just wish that our, the Metro was just like, can we just shuffle some teams, bring in some like bottom of the barrel teams? Like give me like the, you know, the, the, the Blackhawks of last year and all these, the, just the sharks. So like who are, someone else, maybe the coyotes can move somewhere Northeast. Yeah, perfect, <laughs> Cause I'm just so tired of like, Oh, great. A division game. And they're tied with us in the record. Uh, like everything is just there's no easy games. It's just it stinks. It's too much pressure. And you know, for an 82 game season, because the division is so tough, it actually makes you really focus on because every game matters. And mm-hmm. it's like you don't you, you, two points. You know, in the beginning of the season counts the same as two points in the end of April. So that's that's the thing that stinks about it. Eddie, thank you, my friend. Good work, man. You're awesome. Fantastic. And that's why you're the producer of a very fantastic show. Guys, check out the Minus 3 podcast. Edward Eddie Spaghetti Murphy. He's fantastic. Thank you, Ed. Dang, guys. You guys are the best. Talk to you soon. Eddie Spaghetti. I love him. 
I, I love him. I love arguing with him, too. Yes. <laughs> you're, you're, you're finding out new, new things to do. So next, next, time, next time he comes on the show, well, you guys will argue about something with the Yankees. We go for the Giants or the Rangers. So I guess the well, Yankees, he's a Yankee fan. I know so that. that. Maybe he'll say fire cash. That'll be your It's trigger. interesting <laughs> when you're trying to compare both goalies. They're both fantastic goaltenders. And, and to say, I, I mean, by a little bit, I mean, and, and Sorokin's record against Sosturkin, uh, uh, Shesterkin. Shesterkin. I always mess up his name. Shesterkin. I I think it's intriguing to watch both of those guys play and grow in the NHL. Uh, obviously, uh, one is older than the other. Sorokin came into the NHL a little bit later, right. and he's a little bit older. So, uh, but he he's played very well against him. So, I, I, again. And when you look at their record in the KHL against one another, they played in the championship game, and Soroka out played them. So it could go back and forth. Uh, and, and again, Eddie and me just like to argue about something. So uh, it was a great interview. He's fantastic. He yes. really is. So uh, <laughs> what is he saying? The Yankees scored. It's 14-1. to 1. Oh, yeah. By yeah. the way, uh, there is breaking news by Ooh. our friend Ben. Read that, Speedy. Right oh, over there. Ben, breaking news. Uh, yes. Memphis Grizzlies are sending three second-round picks to Ooh. Phoenix Suns for two first-round pick swaps in 2024 and 2030, as well as Isaiah Todd. The second-round picks are 2025 from the Pelicans and 2028 and 2029 from the Grizzlies. Ooh. In 2024 and 2030, well, the Grizzlies will have the right to swap their own first from the lesser of the Phoenix Suns and the Washington what Wizards. Is, what is this hatred for the Yankees? Like, why does Jeff hate the Yankees so much that when the Yankees are getting killed, or even when the Yankees are winning, he'll find a way to complain about something. Uh, Goldilocks bowls or whatever he's trying to figure. St- cheating, stealing signs. He will do anything, anything to try to prove a point that the Yankees are cheaters or the Yankees just stink. Which is ridiculous. And the Yankees do not stink, by the way. They're eight games over five hundred. I, I, I don't call that a stinky team. That's just me. I don't know. But uh, let's get back into There's a lot of stories to get into. And the Damian Lillard story has really caught a lot of people's eyes. And it really has. And I know everybody's sitting here and, and a lot of arguments... And I don't answer the phone uh, right now because I call I, back I later. Call back later because I, I do want to get into the Damian Lillard thing and the agent and his agent. Could you could you stop with him? Mute him, okay? We don't we don't need him right now. He can call back in a little while. But Damian Lillard's agent says that Dame could be unhappy if he's not traded to the Heat. Okay, and I I, I said it yesterday. And I'll say it again. Damian Lillard is one of the best players in the league. He's making a lot of money. And you heard Eddie Spaghetti say it. Dame said when he signed that contract, he wants to be a Portland Trailblazer for life. That's what he said. He wants to stay where he is. Two years ago, the Knicks were interested in him, and he was interested in going to the Knicks when he was playing for Team USA. He went there. How many interviews did he have when he was practicing for Team USA? And he said, I'm going nowhere. I want to be a trailblazer for life. And I, I respected Dame because Dame's the type of player that when he says something and he feels something, he's going to say it with his heart. And now Dame is not even speaking as his agent speaking for him. And that's not Dame. We have seen this with LeBron James. LeBron James will speak. He'll have his agent speak. We've seen this before. And the league is transitioned. The players run the league now. The NBA is completely different 
than any American sport now. And we speak about this all the time. The MLB, the owners run the league. The NFL, the owners run the league. The NHL, the owners run the league. Why is it that the NBA, they can't control their players? There's a players union. You have Chris Paul not liking this and not liking that. And this guy not liking that and this. But, you know, Kyrie Irving can say anti-Semitic views and spread his uh, his craziness all over social media and you don't have LeBron James sticking up for anybody. You don't have Kawhi Leonard speaking up for that. As a matter of fact, him, LeBron James, and Kevin Durant, when they were asked about the whole anti-Semitic views, he said, let the guy, obviously he was suspended for nine games, let the guy play. He apologized. Meanwhile, he came back when he was traded to Dallas, taking back everything that he said in the apologies. And you, you didn't see Adam Silver step in and say, hey, you know what? You're taking back your apology. You're suspended for another 10 games. No, the NBA don't do that. Adam Silver don't do that. David Stern did it. David Stern was a, a guy that dropped the hammer on players. You do this, you're going to get suspended for 10 games. You do that, you're going to be suspended for 20. Now, if you get suspended by holding a gun and pointing a gun at people or pointing a gun on social media, you're only going to get 25 games. Hey, you want to carry a loaded gun? That's okay. Kids, you want to buy a gun? Go ask John Morant. He'll tell you where he bought it. It is ridiculous. And the NBA does not say anything about this. And now you, you look at Dame. I respect him. I do. I respect him as a player. I really, really do. I love Damian Lillard. I love him. I think he's a great, fantastic talent. But now he is telling all the teams that are interested in him, as you heard Eddie Spaghetti say it, that I only want to play for this team. And if you trade for me, I'm going to be very unhappy. This is a guy that's making $60 million a year. He's the highest paid player in NBA history. He signs a huge deal by Portland. And by the way, strap Portland for making any moves at the trade deadline because of Dame's contract. And you're going to sit here and say, hey, you know what? I don't, I don't want to be here anymore. Trade me. They, they decided in the draft at number three to go after a player, a shooting guard that could play with Dame, could, could move forward with Dame because of the way he plays the game. Now, all of a sudden, Dane doesn't want to be there. So what are you going to do? You're going to go after Kyle Lowry? Because that's what they're going to have to get. They're going to have to maneuver contracts to get Dane. So Kyle Lowry is going to have to go to Portland. Old man Kyle Lowry, who's what, 36 years old? He's washed up. They extended him. Yes, thank you, Pat Riley. You didn't want to extend Dwayne Wade when he was at the tail end of his career. But you give Kyle Lowry an extension last year? What are you, nuts? And then you you look at, everybody says, well, if Dame goes to the Heat, they're going to be the favorites. How, how do you figure? How does that work? Now, Dame's a great player. There's no question. He played for Portland. 
the last couple of years. Who's the second best player on Portland? Please, if you know anything about basketball, give me the player that's second best on that team. When he started his career was LaMarcus Aldridge, and then now it's been C.J. McCollum, and then they traded him, and now he's it's probably Nurkic when he is healthy. In the Nurkic, who can't stay healthy. In, in the 20 games he might play here. <laughs> he's starting in the... They don't have anybody. Yeah. Okay? Now he's going to go to a team that has Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. How is this going to work? Is Dame going to take two steps back and let Jimmy Butler run that team? Because it's his team. There's no way Jimmy Butler's going to let Damian Lillard come to that team and say that it's his team. You wonder with the with this situation right now, too, if the leverage point is for them to be able to get that money up even more, too. Now, Damian Lillard is making a lot of money this year, and if he goes to the Heat, then he's going to take that player option as well. It's going to be a lot. Maybe they don't think he's going to get that on the open market, so they're going to say, all right, maybe if the Heat are able to shed those contracts, like you're saying, Kyle Lauer, they're probably going to have to trade Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson as well, because that's a combined $45 million right there. Then, all of a sudden, you have to get under the salary cap and cut everyone else. Then, you may say, alright, maybe that's the only chance they're going to get a max contract. Anyway, Dame is happy in where he wants to go, and Portland still is not going to get the value because Pat Riley likes to fleece teams, but if other teams are going to be worried about these these the fact that he could leave, then they're not going to trade as much either. There so. is no way... Portland, there is no no no-trade clause for Damian Lillard's contract. There is no way the Portland Trailblazers are going to get fleeced on this deal. There is no way. This isn't Washington. This isn't Bradley Beal with a no-trade clause. Damian Lillard wants to go to the Heat. Well, he needs to go to Pat Riley and say, okay, you better give up some pieces. And Tyler Hero is not a big piece, please. Tyler Hero can't stay healthy, and he's overpaid. For the type of player that he is. He's an underside shooting guard. That's what he is. And he doesn't play defense. So who's going to take on $150 million? That's what he's getting paid. It doesn't make sense. Now, I understand what Damian Lillard wants. I understand what these players want. And they're going to force their way out no matter what. But it's not fair... To the GMs in the league, it's not fair to the ownership where they have to sit back and say, we're willing to give our best player out, our franchise player, for garbage. Because that's what happened with Bradley Beal. He was the franchise player with the Washington Wizards. And they said, you know what? We gave him what well, That was their fault, giving him a no-trade clause when they extended him. Right. But nevertheless, how could the NBA allow what happened? How could they allow that? They got nothing. They didn't get a first-round draft pick for him. They got a couple of swaps, which mean absolutely nothing. A couple of second-round picks. Chevette? Come on. Let's let's be honest. He's a decent player. He's a second-team type of player. No, he's a bench shooting guard. That's what what I say. He's a second-team player. Yeah. He's not starting. They didn't even get a starter on that roster. They got nothing. At least the Nets, when they traded for Kevin Durant, they got a good player, Mikel Bridges. That's a good player. And he showed what he could do when he actually is the guy. He's the number one guy on that roster. 
He's a fantastic talent. And the Blazers are in a tough spot, too, because they have to decide if they want to be able to get good value, but still have to take on the financial burden of somebody like a Tyler Hero, who, again, is a good player when he is healthy, but he's getting, if he's making $27 million and he gets hurt, then you're in a, a tough burden. And same kind of thing with Duncan Robinson, who's a good player, but not worth the $18 million. Do they try to get a third team involved? Because odds are Kyle Lowry either is going to be bought out or traded to a third team either way. They're not going to keep that one. But in terms of getting a third team involved, we've heard the Nets with Ben Simmons possibly going over there, which we've, we've learned that the, uh, the Trailblazers front office is very interested in. That's a possibility. Chicago's been interested in it, too. Maybe with a deal with somebody like DeRozan. So it'll be interesting to see what they do and try to get that money to work as well. ESPN Tim Bontemps reports that the Cavaliers could consider trading Donovan Mitchell if they struggle next season. Bontemps added that the Cavs are considering this is a prove-it year of whether Mitchell is worth a long-term contract. First of all, Mitchell is not signing a long-term contract with them. I can guarantee you. Mitchell has two years left on his current contract with a cap hit of $33.1 million this season and a $35.4 million next season. Mitchell also has a player option for $37.1 million in 2025. Mitchell averaged 28.3 points per game, 4.3 rebounds per game, 4.4 assists per game last season. Mitchell is 26 years old and is entering his seventh year in the NBA. I'm going to tell you guys this. Donovan Mitchell, one way or another, is going to push his way out to the Knicks. I'm telling you, that's what's going to happen. He wanted to be a Nick last year. He was surprised that he wasn't traded to the Knicks. The Knicks did not want to give up Grimes. The Knicks did, couldn't give up R.J. Barrett in the trade. And now that R.J. Barrett becomes available, I would hold off on the R.J. Barrett thing. If you can get Donovan Mitchell for Grimes, here's the problem. Donovan Mitchell is undersized. He would be the shooting guard on this roster. Who is going to defend every team's two? Which... The average two size right now in the NBA is 6'6 or higher. Is Donovan Mitchell going to defend at 6'2", a 6'6", 6'8", a two-guard? It doesn't make any sense. That's what scares me about this. What Donovan Mitchell can do, he's a great offensive talent, but he doesn't play defense. He don't. Jalen Brunson played defense this year. Is he a really good defender? He's not. And if you're going to keep Tom Thibodeau there, and it seems like it, Leon Rose loves Tom Thibodeau. And they traded Obi Toppin because him and Tom Thibodeau, and I know everybody keeps saying, well, they didn't like the two second-round draft picks. They weren't getting first-round draft picks for Obi Toppin because Obi Toppin didn't play enough because Tom Thibodeau didn't, Thibodeau didn't like him. They traded to Indianapolis, Indiana. You watch how good Obi Toppin is going to be this year. He's a good player. He could be an all-star this year. I wouldn't be surprised if he becomes an all-star. And the Knicks are going to be smacking themselves in the head because he should have played a little bit more. That was a big mistake by the New York Knicks this offseason. Getting two second-round draft picks for a guy that you drafted in a top five. Yeah, you were thinking they'd include him in another trade at least, too. A team that maybe will value him as a good piece to build around like he was supposed to be drafted as. Yeah, how much upside he has because he's older, I don't know. But at least he's enough to be a starter, a capable starter on any rotation that is going to actually give him playing time. Because he had good team value with the Knicks in the minutes he did play and was a, is a very smart player on the court. So I was very surprised at that. As far as Mitchell, yeah, it's not a really good fit and ideal with a backcourt era of 
NBA that's kind of fading away, the pure point guard, outside of Jalen Brunson and a couple others going out, and just smaller guards in general, it's very hard. Now, Mitchell still was impressive in terms of getting 4.4 assists per game for a shooting guard is fine, but it's going to be very hard for them to play defense and grow with the wings the way that wings are evolving. They would have to play a running gun type of offense. Right. That's what they're going to have to do, especially if they're underside at the guard position. And the NBA is really transitioning. The wing players are bigger. The guard, the guards are big now. Even you look at Steph Curry; he's six foot three. Right. Jalen Brunson's six foot. I mean, or not even six foot. Some people say he's five ten, five eleven. And then you have a guy like Donovan Mitchell, where everybody says he's six two, but people are saying he's six foot, six six foot one. When the average shooting guard in the NBA is like six six, so. It doesn't make sense the way Thibodeau likes to play, and, and, and it doesn't look like the Knicks are willing to trade Grimes. So is it going to be R.J. Barrett? Is it worth taking a chance and bringing in Donovan Mitchell for R.J. Barrett? Or you wait until Donovan Mitchell becomes a free agent, you get him, and you bring him in because he wants to be here. So I, I just I don't know if I trust the fact that a guy like Donovan Mitchell is trying to push, it, push his way out. We do believe that Donovan Mitchell wants to be in New York. He, he grew up here. This is where he wants to be. And I wouldn't be surprised if Mikel Bridges, one way or another, will push his way out from the Brooklyn Nets and to be traded to the Knicks. As three of his buddies are playing with the Knicks. Mm. It's become a Villanova squad. Josh Hart's there. Dante's there. Jalen Bronson's there. All these guys played with each other. And now you're, you bring in Mikel Bridges. you you got four guys that know each other very, very well, and, and they love to play that, that defensive, fast-paced type of offense because that, that's what they played in Villanova. Not only that, he's more of the modern prototype, too, that you would want for a guy that is, shoots the three very well, too, and is a good defender, too. Was, I think, a defensive player of the year finalist uh, last year with the Phoenix Suns. So that's a perfect type of player that the Knicks would need, regardless of who the coach is, whether Thibodeau's there or not. Like, that is more of what you're building on rather than two smaller guards. Five years ago, you could build on two smaller guards. Not as much anymore. The Nets will probably do everything they can to not trade him to the Knicks. But, right. again... If Dame is forcing his way out to the heat, why can't a guy like Mikael Bridges say, you know what, I only want to be traded to the Knicks. That's all I want to go. That's all I really want to play with is, is the New York Knicks. So it's, it's so crazy how the NBA has become a player's league. And something needs to be done with the new CBA rules. The NBA needs to take control back from the players. Because with LeBron James in 2004 coming into the league and, and really changing the league with, with the new endorsements and TV deals and everything, Michael Jordan started it internationally, and now LeBron James is taken to another level. Now LeBron is the spokesman. Everybody keeps talking about Chris Paul being the, you know, the, the lead guy for the Players Union. Who do you think is whispering to him? They're best buds. And I just think it's, it's ruining the league. Honestly, if you look at... Every regular season right now, from baseball, football, hockey, and basketball, I would say basketball is the least when it comes to watching a regular season game out of all four sports. And the reason why is because you know what's going to happen. You know what teams are going to make the playoffs. You know what teams are probably going to the finals or the Eastern and Western Conference finals because that's the way the NBA has built this. So I, I, I just... I hate going back and forth and trying to figure out how the NBA 
and why the NBA is doing this. Uh, Luka Doncic, multiple reports believe that Luka Doncic will be a name to watch at the trade deadline next season. Luka Doncic mentioned that he might have requested a trade within the next one to two years of his contract with the Mavericks didn't make a big splash move. He did say that he he wanted a big splash. Uh, ESPN's Tim McMahon mentioned that Luka Doncic was involved in the decision of the Mavericks to give Kyrie Irving a a new three-year, $126 million contract. Luka and Kyrie are making a combined $341 million this coming season. Kyrie Irving had also previously hinted in trying to lure LeBron James to join the Dallas Mavericks. The Mavericks missed the playoffs completely last season and were 8-12 and in, in games with Kyrie Irving playing. So, honestly, this was a bad move by Dallas. And I know it is said that Luka Doncic was involved with the decision of giving Kyrie Irving that contract. What is he going to say? If Mark Cuban is coming to you and saying, listen, there's nobody available. Nobody really wants to come here because there's free agency. The market was bad. We need to bring this guy back or we have no chance of making the playoffs next year. What do you think Luca's going to say? Go ahead. It's your team. Do whatever you want. That doesn't mean Luca's happy about it. Kyrie Irving has messed up and he's been a clown with every organization but the Cleveland Cavaliers. And even there, he was trying to ransack LeBron James. And LeBron put him in his place. LeBron is the only one he'll listen to and that could put him in his place. That's why I was so sure that one way or another, the Lakers were going to make a move for him. <laughs> that would be classic Lakers fashion. GM LeBron taking over. Rob is not having it. But... The Lakers haven't done anything this offseason, really. I don't, a, a, little, a little move here and a little move there is not going to be enough. Gabe Vincent is not enough. Okay? It's not enough. And I, that's why, when you look at LeBron James, I'm surprised LeBron James hasn't pushed his way out of L.A. But I think because his son is going to USC and that he wants to watch his son play college ball because he never played college ball, and, and with all his... You know, his production companies and his endorsements, his pizza, Blaze Pizza over there, where, where he's got a franchise over there. He wants to stay in L.A. right now. But that doesn't mean, as the season progressively moves forward, that he doesn't try to push his way out of L.A. Right. And also keep in mind, like, the college basketball season is shorter than the NBA season, too. So that trade deadline if, uh, is February. If USC is not doing well in college basketball or maybe they're just doing enough just to get into the tournament but aren't a real threat, like, he's not going to want to do that because we know Bronny's going to be one and done anyway. So, yeah, he might go to a few games. That's it. But as far as, like, the rest of everything, he can still do everything, like, all over the world, too. He's a billionaire. Yeah. I don't think that's really going to make a difference, but it's showing right now that maybe he is thinking that way. He wants to just uh, play basketball, kind of relax, and then his next team will be more of the bigger deal if he wants to have a legacy type thing because Rob Palenka's fighting back here. He's not letting GM LeBron be GM LeBron where he's bringing all oh, these stop. old men. Stop. Palenka was Kobe Bryant's agent, okay? And they've been friends for a very long time. If LeBron James goes to Palinka and says, I want this guy, do whatever you can to get him and trade this guy, he's going to do it. The reason why Palinka hasn't done anything, because there's nothing available this offseason. They really, the free agency market was really dry. Chris Middleton, come on, guy. This guy came from a knee injury, and he wanted to stay in Milwaukee. 
There was nothing out there this offseason that was going to change the the admiration of of what the Lakers did this season. There was no reason why. First of all, the Lakers should not have made the Western Conference Finals. Okay? The fact that they did was a miracle. Everything fell the right way. They had no chance against Denver. Hence the reason why Denver beat the hell out of them. But LeBron James is a shell of himself. And I not by numbers. Numbers would show you he's not a shell of himself. But here's the thing. LeBron James doesn't play the defensive type of game anymore that he played when he played in Cleveland and Miami. He's not that same player. He's not going to go up and down the court. He's not going to be the, I, I guess you could say, the backbone of that defense. He's not that type of player anymore. How many times did we see LeBron James against those good Chicago Bulls teams take Derrick Rose at the top of his game and defend him and stop him, shut him down? He can't do that anymore against these point guards. He tried to defend John Morant, and he embarrassed him in that series. And John Morant wasn't even healthy. He had a, he had a hurt wrist. No, he didn't play in game three on after that. No, but and, when he did play, he embarrassed LeBron James when he tried to defend him. Right. It's not the same type of player when it comes to the – in terms of the raw defense as a guard. Like, we were talking about it's a guy who can defend all five positions at his peak, no doubt. But, yeah, it's definitely not the same case. And that's why the Lakers, as a result, have had to bring in younger players. We've seen LeBron in other spots with Miami, with Cleveland. And bringing these all these veteran guys that he likes, including two ex Knicks, J.R. Smith and Avon Shumpert, when he was in Cleveland, <laughs> and he could just cater to that. But the Lakers couldn't do that as much this time around because one, there's just not a lot of them left because most of them retired, or J.R. Smith's playing golf in North Carolina, and two, you need to be a little younger and faster to be able to do well in the modern NBA, and that's why a lot of these trade deadline acquisitions they made this year, guys like Lonnie Walker, Rui mm-hmm. Hachimura, were some of the best players for the Lakers in the playoffs this year, along with Austin Reeves, who they drafted. And that's why when when you look at the NBA free agency market, and, and we, we read off all the, the players that really meant anything this offseason and where they went, it didn't really stand out. And it, there were more better trades than there were in free agency because in the NBA now, these guys are getting extensions, bird rights, all these different things that they have set rules, and it, it's, it's different. The NBA is completely different from the NHL, the NFL, and the MLB because there are no bird rights in any of those sports. But the NBA makes sure that these teams can control their players because of the whole Larry Bird thing when it when it happened. Right. I think hockey's the only one that has like the offer sheet thing with restricted free agents, but that doesn't work with unrestricted free agents. It, it, it all goes to the players. Right. And if I was an owner of an NBA team, I wouldn't be happy. Because if my best player decides, hey, you know what? I don't want to be here anymore. I can't stand this team. And I, I don't care. If you're not going to put players around me, you're not going to find players to play around me, I, I don't want to be here anymore. Trade me here. And you, I, there's only two teams I want to play to. I, I, I want to play for. And if you don't trade me to one of these two teams, I'm done. I, I, I will sit out this season, and I don't care. And no NBA, play, no NBA GM or no NBA owner is going to sit there and say, I want my best player who I'm paying $40 million a year to, no matter what, is going to get that money. Where he's going, where I'm going to allow him sitting out for the whole season, because he still has to get paid. He's still going to get paid. Right. Most of the, I think, NBA contracts are. I want to say they're guaranteed, ninety percent guaranteed, guaranteed. Yeah. Yeah. So they have to force him out of there. They have to trade him, and that's what sucks about this. And that's why the new CBA. I I don't know when the next CBA is, but I'm sure it's in the next three or four years. Whenever it is, if Adam Silver is still the commissioner, the ownership has to figure out 
how this could work more for the owners than it does for the players. I don't question what the players are making. The players, they're great players, and, and whatever they're worth with the new CBA and the new, uh, the new TV deals, if, if they're making 40, 50, 60, 70 million, let them, let them make it. But they shouldn't be demanding on where they should play or where they should go. It shouldn't happen like that, especially with the money these guys are making. Could you listen? You pay me $5 million. There are players on the bench right now in the NBA that don't don't step on the court more than five minutes in a season, and they're making five million dollars a year. If you you want to pay me five million dollars a year, I'll sit on the bench and make jokes. <laughs> and you're also seeing now too a lot of these younger star and superstar players. Hopefully, are going to change that in the NBA where you don't have as much of this quote unquote drama. Now, obviously, Luka Doncic did mention that there's a possibility he might want out of Dallas if they continue to be. He this is way. going to be out of there sometime this year. But again, this has a little bit more obvious frustration with the way the Mavericks have been run in the time that he's been there, too, because they were stuck with a lot of bad contracts when he got there. Then he tra- they traded for Porzingis, which ended up backfiring. They gave him that massive contract, which they since traded, luckily. But still, that's like, you have a good reason to be frustrated with that. But you look at Giannis, you look at Nikola Jokic, even you look at somebody like, yes, Snug, I'll mention your Sacramento Kings, Devonta Sabonis, just signed a big contract with them for $217 million. He stayed there, and... They're not deviating from having to say, all right, I want to go play with this guy. I want to go to this particular team like you're seeing a lot of these 30-plus-year-old NBA players doing now. And Damian Lillard, like we were just talking about, being the most recent one, which was surprising considering what he was. Yeah, and and a guy that's very well-respected around the league. And nobody in their wildest dreams believed that Damian Lillard was going to do this with his agent. He has his agent speaking for him right now. Damian Lillard never had anybody speak for him. Now all of a sudden his agent is making the laws – Oh, he, he wants to go here. If he doesn't go here, he's going to be very unhappy. Cry me a river. Pay me $60 million a year. Seriously, $60 million a year. And he's complaining about where he wants to go, who he wants to play for, because he has the best chance to win over there. And this was never going on in the NBA in the 90s or the 80s, because every team hated, every player on those teams hated each other. They absolutely despised each other. Come on. Do you think Ron Artest in the early 2000s would play for Detroit? Come on. Push his way out of Indiana to go play for Detroit? Do you think Detroit would have taken Ron Artest as a a player on their team after what happened at the Palace? Come on, guys. Never in, in their wildest dreams that would have happened. The 90s Pistons might have with the bad boy identity. Ronald Artest would be perfect for them, but, yeah, I see what you're saying with that. Yes, Snug, the Sacramento Kings got mentioned because they actually have two uh, homegrown stars that mm-hmm. signed big contracts with them, with Fox and with Sabonis, and they might have more. The well, Sabonis is not from there. Well, no, but— He was traded from Indiana. Okay, but even so, like, like they actually—he didn't—he could have just said, all right, I'm going to stay here for the one year and then I'm leave. not trading both those players for Luka Doncic. No. I, I, at this point, if Luka Doncic— How are you going to win? If you bring Luka yeah. Doncic there, you're going to give your two best players up for Luka? No. Luka can't win by himself over no. there in Dallas, so how is he going to win over there in Sacramento? I, I think it also it could get uglier, too, if it does get uglier in Dallas. It might not have to get either one of them. You could just... it, it makes sense why the Knicks would be a team, 
And I'll tell you why. The Knicks have Julius Randle there. They have R.J. Barrett. He wants to play with Jalen Brunson. They actually went to the Western Conference Finals with Jalen Brunson. So him playing back with Jalen Brunson and some of the youngsters and some of the young players that they have set up over there in New York, if they traded R.J. Barrett and draft picks and Julius Randle, I, I could see that happening. I could. The Knicks make a lot of sense. And I could see Luca pushing his way out to New York. He would love to play in a big city. The The endorsements that he would get in New York would be a lot more. And I know what Jeff's going to say. No matter where you play, you're going to make the money. But the endorsements are different if you play in New York. There's so many deals and, and car dealerships and, and all these different things he could do and he could promote where he can make millions upon millions of dollars more off the court. Multiple reports believe that the Islanders and Red Wings are two favorites to trade for Alex DeBrinkett. NHL insider Elliot Friedman believe that the Red Wings are perceived to be the favorite with DeBrinkett being from Michigan. DeBrinkett is reportedly seeking a contract very similar to Timo Myers, who got an eight-year deal worth about $8.5 million per year. DeBrinkett is making $9 million on his arbitration contract and is restricted free agent. DeBrinkett is ineligible for an offer sheet from Ottawa for a long-term deal. And he didn't want in a negotiation because uncertainty with ownership. Ottawa has since been bought by Canadian billionaire Michael Andalor. And the Red Wings have about $9.9 million in cap money, while the Islanders have less than a million after giving Ilya Sorokin a new deal. Eight years, $66 million contract. And here's the thing. If the Islanders make the trade... They're probably going to have to trade a contract with, with probably a bunch of picks and, and maybe a youngster. Yeah, so, Lee or Nelson maybe. Yeah. Brock Nelson could be a guy that they would have to move. Uh, maybe. I don't think Anders Lee. Uh, I don't think they're going to want Anders Lee. Anders Lee, Anders Lee is making almost $7.5 million. He's an overpaid captain on the Islanders. So I, I don't think they're going to want him. Uh, they're going to want guys like Oliver Wallstrom. They're going to probably want one of those defensemen, Pulak or Pelic. They're going to want one of those guys. They need. They could add defense. They don't need defense, but they can add defense to that that roster. Pulak and Pelic are still fairly young. Pulak is twenty seven. Pelic is twenty six, or going to be twenty seven this year, and and Pulak's going to be twenty eight. So I could see something like that, especially after. Signing, uh, you know, a couple of defensemen this offseason for the Islanders. I could see them moving a defenseman. Yeah, you wonder if the Ottawa Senators are going to be the one directing the trade for something that could help them right now, or it's going to be even another team that gets involved, too. Because, again, another team could get the value of, of, of a Brock Nelson, because Ottawa's got good center depth. Like, that's not a big issue for them. They definitely could use the defense. I agree with you on that. They could definitely use somebody like Palak or Pulak to anchor that defense. Along, Absolutely. Along with some of the youngsters they do have. Their, their top end's good, but they they need a lot more depth if they want to take that next step, especially with the goaltending issues they've had the last couple of years, too. Well, they did sign Mayfield, so yeah. and Mayfield had one of his best seasons, if not he, his best season. And they got him on a cheap. They did sign him seven years, but $3.5 million. He, that's a really good deal. When you look at Pelic, Pelic's making about five and a half, mm -hmm. and then Pulak's making a little bit more than that. So I, I think that if you move one or the other and maybe give up a Wallstrom and maybe a, a first this year, and a second this year, 
and maybe a third next year, I think you can get to Brinkett. Yeah, and, and the Islanders have leeway, I think, to try to do that kind of thing, too, because they still have some upside defensemen on that team. Romanov is young enough where he still might have some unproven potential that he hasn't gotten to yet. You look at somebody like Salo, who barely plays, and maybe he gets his chance if somebody like that is traded for to make the money work for Dabrinka, because the Islanders need all the speed they can get, and getting younger on the defensive end it could help a lot, too, because the Islanders, the other big flaw that they've had is their power play, how bad it always is, so maybe somebody like Dobson and elevating the point and being more of an offensive type defenseman in a speed system could work for that kind of thing. And then be Salo down the road. And honestly, like that too. Ottawa didn't really give up much for Debrinkit. No. They, they had a steal for Debrinkit. And I think because he didn't want to play for Chicago anymore, he pushed his way out. Mm-hmm. And he, go, he goes to Ottawa. And Ottawa's a great young team. And he had 40 goals this year. If he goes to the Islanders, he'll probably play on the first line. That You, you put him with Bo Horvat and Barzell. You have one of the the young and talented lines right now in the NHL. Now, I, I, talked, I spoke to my agent and Brian today, and I said, what happens if Dabrinka gets traded to the Islanders? Do you think the Islanders will be a contender? He says, well, when you go into the playoffs, teams shut down that number one line, and then the other lines need to score, and those other lines need to produce. But the Islanders are pretty good from one to four. So I know a lot of people say that the Islanders are the oldest team in the NHL, which they are. But if they add a guy like Dabrinkit, he's 25 years old. You have Barzell, who's 25 years old. These guys, and, and both Barzell, Bo Horvat, they all got extensions. They're all going to be playing there for at least seven or eight years. If you add Dabrinkit, he's going to get an extension of seven, eight years. Now you put these guys together for the next you know, four to five years before you decide to move on from one or the other, and then you can build your team around these guys with Sorokin. So Right, and also the Islanders are going to have to move these other ancillary pieces to get that money to work, too. Whether it's, like you were saying, Nelson uh, Lee, whether it's Paul Mary, somebody mm-hmm. like that, they're going to have to move at least one, maybe two other skaters, whether it's in the Ottawa deal itself or in another another, in a, deal. another team, mm-hmm. and just to clear the money off, because the Islanders will be $8 million under the cap if they give him the $9 million contract this year. And who says what they'll sign for him after that? I think he'll probably get something in the range of the eight, eight and a half million that Meyer got. I don't know if he, I don't think he's as good as Meyer, but I don't think he's far behind. And I think because he's of his young youth upside potential. Now he's smaller. He's a hundred. He's younger pounds. than Meyer, isn't he? He's younger than Meyer. Yes, he is. Now he's smaller. He's he has some other flaws to his game. Like he's not the complete player, but again, his goal scoring prowess is exactly what the Islanders need. So if they have to give him eight and a half million dollars to stay there, they they'll do it. They'll find a way to make it work if if they can make the trade and and. What is said, and we know Stevie Eiserman, he loves to make these deals. He wants to bring in another goal scorer. This, this Detroit team is going to be a force to be reckoned with. Yep. They have some uh, good young players in their farm system. And Eiserman has really been building this farm system ever since he's taken over this team three, four years ago. So, And with Tampa and what he did with Tampa, Stevie Eiserman was a great player, one of the greatest centers to ever play in the NHL. So he understands how to build a roster and, and put the roster together where it makes sense moving forward. And, and with Detroit, Detroit in the Eastern Conference could definitely make the playoffs this year oh, yeah. because the Eastern Conference is so wide open. There's so much talent in the Eastern Conference. So anything's possible. And they have good goaltending, too, Detroit. So I, I question you know, this whole Debrinket thing. And, and is Lou willing? Is Lou willing to give up another first-round draft pick to land a bricket? He has given up his last three first-round draft picks for players. Last three. And second-round draft picks, practically. This year, they had a second-round draft pick. Last year, they had a second. But the, the, other, the other year, the, the year before that, for J.P. Pajot, they, 
they they gave they gave up a first and a second for him. And right. Pajot's another guy that they could look to trade yes. to. Pajot is making about five and a half, six million. You can move Pajot. There's a lot of teams looking for a, a, a good face-off guy. Pajot is one of the top five in the league. They have Bo Horvat. They have two of the top ten face-off guys in the NHL. And Pajot honestly has not stayed healthy over the last two years for the Islanders and really hasn't produced as much as we expect him for the amount of years and the amount of money the Islanders paid him. Right. The offensive upside, I think, was coming with uh, with Ottawa and the Islanders when they first traded for Pajot, and that really hasn't been there. But you're right. The face-off guy is still going to be steady enough where any team that's going to be looking for center depth is still going to could be interested in him. Now, again, it might be trickier to do it now rather than in, in the during the season when mm-hmm. you know if you're contenders or not. So that will make it tricky with somebody like Pajot. But again, there's a lot of options for the Islanders to trade all these veteran guys. And Lou has to learn to evolve in terms of his thinking, too. If you're going to give up a first-round pick, it has to be for somebody younger and faster than what they've been doing. Uh, I, I know. And, and, and I, I don't attack Lou Lamorello for trading their first-round draft pick for Bo Horvat. No, of course not. I'm not going to do that. And everybody says, well, Bo Horvat, when he was traded, uh, look at what he did. Bavillier was dominating in Vancouver, and Bo Horvat fell apart. Bo Horvat fell apart when Barzell got hurt. Right. They were hot. When Bo Horvat was traded, he had like two goals in four games. Barzell had a five- or six-point scoring streak. And then he gets hurt, and he's out for the rest of the season. He comes back in the playoffs. And Barzell was a shell of himself because hockey is a sport where you – your skating has to has to come week in and week out. It takes weeks to come back. Your speed come back. Your puck handling skills come back. It do, you can't just step on the ice and compete against some of the best in the world. So it, it doesn't work. And every, everybody's, well, Barzell didn't play well in the playoffs. He was out for 20-some-eye games. Right. So... I expect if Bo Horvat stays healthy this year and Barzell stays healthy, I expect them to have big years. And if you bring in an Alex Debrinkit to that line, you're talking about one of the best young lines in the NHL right now. Right. I don't care what anybody says. And everybody says, well, you, you can't win with one line. Boston did. Boston did. And everybody said, well, Boston had good lines. The Islanders have good lines. The Islanders for years has had one of the best fourth lines in the NHL. Their second line has Brock Nelson on their second line. I'm not a Brock Nelson fan. And Anders Lee. Anders Lee averages about 30 goals a season. Brock Nelson, the last two seasons, has averaged over 30 goals and was an all-star. Okay? I can't sit here. And and they have J.P. Pajot if they decide to move him or keep him. He's on the third line. You can't tell me that the Islanders don't have the depth to compete against some of these elite teams. They do. And they have great goaltending. And if their defense actually holds up and shows up to the games, they're as good as any defense in the NHL. And we've seen this past NHL playoffs, too, teams be able to cover up their other deficiencies with just these really good power plays, too. Carolina was horrible even strength in the playoffs, yet they still made the Eastern Conference Finals because of the strength of their power play. A team like Edmonton was so good on the power play, historically good on the power play. And Vegas, who won the Cup, too, had a very good power play. Washington is old. Pittsburgh is old. Philadelphia is young and stupid. (laughs) Okay. They're already trying to trade their, their young goaltender in heart. Yeah. Okay? They're, they're moving on from a goaltender that I believe is going to be elite goalie in this league. He will be traded. He will go somewhere else, just like Buffalo traded Lerner. And then Lerner went somewhere. He went to the Islanders, and he became an elite goalie. He became one of the best goalies in the league. And then, and then he, he goes him and went to Vegas. And then he goes to <laughs> Vegas and, and played very well in Vegas before yes. he got hurt. So I, we've seen teams do this before. And I just think when you look at some of these teams, and the Islanders are the oldest team, but you look at Carolina has done nothing this offseason. 
Nothing. You look, everybody was talking about Carolina making the big moves. Carolina's going to do it. And Orloff is, is not the big move, okay? They need offense. Right. That's what they need. And, and, and they lost Pacioretty. Pacioretty goes after he gets hurt in the middle of the season. Pacioretty's now a Washington Capitol. So a guy like Max Pacioretty, who he's a good goal scorer, he gives you a good, efficient offense, you don't have him anymore. So what did you do offensively? Your problem last year in the playoffs was scoring goals. Mm-hmm. They're trying to get Tarasenko, but Tarasenko doesn't want to play there. So, And he just changed agents, too. Yeah, Tarasenko's not going there. Doesn't seem that way. No. Because they even gave him, I think, a $5.5 million contract. And I think if the Islanders fail to get to Brinkett, I think Tarasenko goes to the Islanders. Yeah, that's possible. That's what I believe. Because the Islanders are putting all their eggs in the basket to get to Brinkett because you put to Brinkett on that young line, they extend him. This young line will be together for the next seven, year, seven eight years. And by the way, they have Sorokin who signed an eight-year, $66 million contract. Pulak, Pelik, all these guys signed an eight-year contract. And that's what Lou is trying to do. He's trying to put his young players together where you can build around these youngsters and, and, and probably win. They were so close three years ago. Right. When going back-to-back years to the Eastern Conference Finals, they just didn't have enough offense and they didn't have enough speed. Now, maybe if John Tavares was on those rosters, they make it to the Stanley Cup. They would have beaten Montreal. 100% oh, would have beaten Montreal. Anyone would have beaten Montreal. That I was mean, the flukiest team ever. Uh, seriously. So it, it just you know it didn't fall together for the Islanders. But this Debrinkit thing, and I, I was talking to Brian about this today, and I said – the Islanders have a very good chance to get Alex Debrinkit. He said, so does 15 other teams. And I said, that's not what I hear. I, I heard that there were two, only the Islanders and the Red Wings. And he said, if, if it's between the Islanders and Red Wings, it's more unlikely the Red Wings because they have a great farm system. But, again, I don't see Stevie I trading a first-round draft pick for Debrinkit. I could see Lou doing it. Lou's done it every single year for a player. So as much as everybody sits here and says, well, Steve – Steve's got players. Steve will trade. Steve will trade some good talent. I cannot see Stevie Eisenman trading a first round draft pick for him. So, uh, if the Islanders are willing to trade another one of those and and maybe a second and and two players that makes sense when it comes to contract and mix, mixing the contracts up that it makes sense. I can absolutely see Alex Debrinkit being traded to the Islanders. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be talking to heavy sports Jets digital reporter Paul Estin Jr. here on the Sports Lab Mounts. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loud Mounts. 631-672-3108 is the number to call. You are listening to the Sports Loud Mounts. I'm your host, Aaron Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Go to our website at www. WorldWideSportsRadio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week, including The Loud Mouths, which airs every single Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. Remember, during the summer, we're moving the Wednesday show to 9 p.m., so stay tuned for all the kids out there. They're home from school, so you can tune in and listen to our show at 9 p.m. live. So that's why we're moving it now to 9 p.m. It gives us a little bit more time. It's a little bit hotter, so, you know, it, it, it is what it is. Uh, but uh, tune in to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we've had him on the show quite a few times. He's a Jets guy, and we need to get into it. We're now talking to heavy sports Jets digital reporter Paul Estin Jr. Paul, what's up, man? 
Man, I, I'm with the best duo in sports. This is uh, <laughs> this you. is beautiful. I'm glad that you guys graced me with your presence. Well, uh, you you graced us, and we, we really love you. I checked out I, I check out your podcast all the time. You're fantastic. You have a lot of good takes with the Jets. And uh, my question before we get into the Jets is: How are you and your family doing uh, with COVID? Uh, are you guys healthy? Everything good? Yes, uh, I appreciate that. Thank you for that right off the top. Yeah, we're great. Uh, I have a 17-month-old uh, little girl. Congratulations. Uh, my only child at home. Thank you. So, uh, you know, watching her grow up and in the COVID, that's been the weird side effect. Obviously, very serious uh, for all those reasons and all those lives lost and whatnot. But um, for me personally, being stripped away from my work and working virtually, I've gotten to spend unbelievable time with her in sports you don't normally get to uh, have a lot of time at home so it's been a very nice thing so i've been fully embracing it and uh, hopefully uh, all your guys's uh, families are great and everything too we're we're rolling i mean uh we're alive as as you see us going crazy and yelling at fans and uh, going back and forth of what's going on in sports here in New York and, and throughout the country because it's been absolutely crazy. This is the slow time for sports because uh, there's no football, there's no hockey, there's no basketball, but with free agency with the NBA and free agency with the NHL, trade talks, trade here, dame, dame, dame this, dame that. I mean, it's crazy. And then and with the NFL now around the corner, OTAs are about to start in the next week, week and a half, uh, there's a lot to get into. So let's get into it. Uh, the New York Jets, there are – I've been saying this for the last couple of weeks before Flight 23 came out. And now there is no more episodes of Flight 23. And I said, there's something fishy about this. Uh, they they have episode after episode every single week. And now they, they stopped the footage of Flight 23. Maybe the Jets are the team that's going to be hard knocks. Then Adam Scheffner and Breer came out and said that it looks like the Jets are going to win hard knocks, even though Robert Sala came out and said that he has no interest to be on hard knocks. What are your thoughts? Do you believe the Jets are the team that's going to be picked for hard knocks? I do, but it's not for the reason you're saying. The uh, I have uh, had the great pleasure of being on both Flight 23 yes. Ascension in the building with the Jets and recorded a few documentaries with them, which has been great. Uh, One Jets Drive, they just call it a bunch of different names. One Jets Drive will be returning, uh, coming up during the summer training camp, yes. preseason, all that jazz. That will still happen. And even if Hard Knocks comes, which I project it will, the Jets in-house operation will still do still do their own thing. And then Hard Knocks will do their thing. I've confirmed that with people inside oh, the Jets okay. building. They're not going to stop their thing. If Hard Knocks comes, they're going to keep doing theirs, and they will just kind of work at the same time together. Hard Knocks will spit out their thing Tuesday nights. The Jets will spit out their thing multiple days a week and things of that nature. So I fully anticipate it's going to be that. I've reached out to as many Jets people as I can to see if they can confirm, and they said we're still in the waiting game to see what Hard Knocks ends up deciding to do because they can force one of the four eligible teams to participate. And by all accounts, no offense to the – Washington Commander, Chicago Bears, and the New Orleans Saints. The Jets are the most interesting team, whether you're a Jets person or not. And people either want to see it succeed or flop miserably. Either way is going to be incredibly entertaining. So I anticipate that's going to be coming soon because the Jets and the Cleveland Browns, for that matter, report a week earlier than any other NFL team because of the Hall of Fame game coming up. 
uh, in early August. So they're coming up. So the Hard Knocks are going to have to make that decision because they're going to have to start, you know, getting some footage out there. So I have that announcement within the next week. I have an NFL insider that has told me that they've already decided it's going to be the Jets. I, I know they I'm haven't sure. reported. I can't give any names. People on <laughs> YouTube. Anonymous sources. Yeah, yes. Yeah. YouTube. I, I have an anonymous source. I talked to an NFL guy, and he told me, uh, it's almost 90% done that the Jets are going to be the team on hard knocks. So I, I know, obviously, the Browns are another team that they have said. There are two other teams uh, that have been spoken about that could win the opportunity. Chicago was another, but they took them out a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so it's really down to two teams, and the Jets were one of them. Even though Robert Sala came out and said that he doesn't want it, Woody Johnson loves this. He absolutely loves this. This has an opportunity. You have Aaron Rodgers there, and Aaron Rodgers would have never did it in Green Bay, never done this in Green Bay. But now all of a sudden he's in New York. He's happy. He's excited. Why wouldn't he do this? He has a chance to really show his personality, not only in the locker room. Everybody says the guy's an idiot, the guy's mean, he's this, he's that. But every, every single guy that we've interviewed from the Green Bay Packers organization has told us he's a great teammate, he's funny, he's energetic, he's everything you want in a quarterback. Yes, I can concur with all of that in our limited time that we've had with him so far. He spent the entire time here of the voluntary offseason programs. You guys have seen him on, mm-hmm. on the boob tube. He's been at the baseball games, hockey games, basketball games. He's been doing all that kind of stuff that I think a lot of Green Bay people told me. Taylor Twist, too. Yeah, yeah, Taylor Swift. Yeah, Swift, I call her Taylor Twist because she is and, a twist. Uh, <laughs> yeah, very much so. Very much so. And uh, so he's been doing it all. Although Packers people told me he won't be there for the full voluntary. He won't be there for all those extracurricular activities. And they were wrong. So that's interesting that Aaron Rodgers has decided to kind of fully invest uh, from that sense. He did apparently say somewhere during his Green Bay Packers time, being there 18 years, he apparently publicly went against hard knocks <laughs> and said, ah, I have no interest in it. But, again, Aaron Rodgers or Robert Sala, for that matter, who is open that he doesn't want it, they don't make those decisions. So, quite frankly, I mean, they could have an opinion just like all of us. It doesn't matter. They could say whatever the hell they want. Woody Johnson even, like I said, the Hard Knocks can just force it on one of the four eligible teams. I think Woody Johnson, regardless of what he says, he does really want 100%. it. He wants every second of Aaron Rodgers documented and on national television. The last time they were on it, they went to the AFC Championship. That's what I said, yep. So, uh, so, And let me just say this, for all the distraction folks out there, <laughs> let, let's just lay it on the line. The Jets are the most successful. This is not an opinion. This is fact. The Jets are the most successful team in Hard Knocks history. No other team has reached a conference championship game after being featured on Hard, Here, hard Knocks in history. Here's so, another. Here's a, I, you know. Here's another yeah. fact. I don't know. I don't know if you remember this. When Hard Knocks was going on, Darrell Revis was not signed, and they signed him three weeks into Hard Knocks. And, and you heard Rex Ryan; he was complaining. Look what's going on. Their best defensive player right now, Quinn Williams, is still not signed. And if if Hard Knock starts, it, he still might not be signed. He might not sign till the second or third week during Hard Knock. So 
Why not? And then the, the Jets have a chance maybe to go, I'm not saying Super Bowl, but they have a chance to, to make a run this year if they stay healthy and they keep that offensive line healthy enough to protect Aaron Rodgers. Paul, are you saying that the, the, there's a hard knocks jinx the way there's a Madden jinx? <laughs> That's what apparently people are arguing online, but there's no statistical basis for these you know baseless rumors that people are saying. Now, have there been crappy teams? Of course, look throughout the history since whatever it was, uh, Ravens and like 2001 all the way to now and then a break or two in between sure there have been teams that have sucked but it's not like all the teams have sucked like man curse like everybody gets injured like no like look at the history there have been plenty of teams that have had success and have gone to the playoffs again the jets are the ones that's had the most success getting all the way to the afc championship game no one's won a super bowl yet but still i would just say the distraction thing seems like nonsense in today's day and age in 2023 i mean Hell, we, we just mentioned it earlier. The Jets' in-house documentary are filming at all times. What <laughs> is ultimately another five or ten cameras? What are we talking about? Like, you know, I'm cool with five. You know what? Six cameras. That just crosses the line. I, I cannot do my job. That's a complete – like, that to me seems like malarkey. If you're in the NFL, you're a professional. If it does distract you, then you probably didn't deserve to go anywhere that people project you were going to anyway. I'm, well, I'm sure Woody Johnson would just buy the cameras himself if that was the case. And here's another that's thing. That's probably true. And here's yeah. another thing with more more cameras, more pull. So there you go. We'll get That's a chance. Right, 100%. To, yeah. There you go. So you'll you'll be the center of attention, not only on Hard Knocks, but uh, whatever the Jets put out there when it comes to documentaries. So there you go. We are talking to heavy sports Jets digital reporter Paul Esten Jr., friend of the show. He's fantastic. Uh, if you haven't checked out his podcast, go on YouTube. It, it really, really is good. He gets a lot of special guests. He, he gives you really, really good down-to-earth crazy content from the New York Jets. So what has st- stuck out to you so far uh, with minicamp? Uh, what player has really stuck out to you? I mean, I've heard Garrett Wilson. Everybody says he's explosive. He's been unbelievable. Uh, I've also heard Sauce Gardner. He's looked uh, even better than he did last year. And I've also heard Brees, Ho- Brees has been really showing everybody uh, that he still is healthy enough to start the season. And it might be healthy enough to start week one. Yeah, a lot of nuggets there. So Brees Hall hasn't been involved in the actual practices, but he's Mm -hmm. been off to the side. And one of the big things was the analytical data we have. They have this GPS tracking system, which can, you know, basically see, is he still running at the same kind of speeds he was running at last year? Because the players are wearing that kind of data, even as they're playing on the football field. It's a simple thing that they don't even notice. So Brees Hall was running as fast, if not faster, in some of those GPS models during this spring than he was back then. The big thing is cutting. You know, cutting left to right, we did see a little bit of that kind of footage uh, from Brees uh, during practices. So Brees all looks good, but of course, you know, it's uh, the proof is in the pudding when he's actually on the field. So all the hype and hubbub right now is he will be ready for week one. I don't anticipate it being a full workload. If he is ready for that week one Monday Night Football game, I think it'll be under some level of a limited rep. He'll kind of have a rep in his head or the coaches in their heads, and they will use him to that. And I think they're going to be pretty strict on that going through the early portions of the season. Yeah, Garrett Wilson's looked like a monster, and I'm not surprised because he's had Aaron Rodgers throwing him the football. So he's been putting him in all these advantageous positions. And, again, the ceiling is unbelievable. um, The only advice I could give is if you're a fantasy football person, find a way to get Garrett Wilson on your roster. If he had 1,100 yards with absolute garbage at quarterback last year, what the hell is he going to do with a guy that just won the MVP in two of the last three seasons? 1,500 yards, breaking all kinds of records are all possible. 
uh, for G-Dub as long as he stays healthy. So Garrett Wilson, of course, uh, has looked remarkable. It's hard to get much because of these voluntary mm-hmm. uh, practices in terms of trench warfare. The, 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 you know, there's no hog molly play. There's no trench warfare action until we get to training camp. That's where we can kind of get a good sense of, like, the first-round pass rusher, Will McDonald, or some of the offensive linemen coming back from injuries. I've been like, hearing like, a lot of great things about Will McDonald. For all the Jet fans oh, yeah. that were shocked that the Jets – and by the way, he was the Jets' number one guy. I, I'm just letting everybody know, every single thing that I have read with, with Joe Douglas, Joe Douglas wanted Will McDonald. He was going to be their number one guy, really, unless one of these offensive linemen actually just fell to him. And he knew that they weren't. So it was Will McDonald. So what were your thoughts, and what are your thoughts of the size of this kid and what he's capable of doing, what you've seen, the little bit that you've seen on the field? Yeah, I will say this to confirm that while the rest of the world, including myself on the outside, live during the draft, Will McDonald, what the hell? I thought he was a second-round pick. So, like, saying that and seeing it and then hearing after the fact, uh, part of the One Jets Drive crew, what they did is they filmed all these scenes in the draft room. They, they filmed scenes weeks leading up. Like, they'd show a draft scene, April 4th draft meeting, and you hear the Jets drool over Will McDonald. And there's apparently a few Iowa State players on the team. There's Brees Hall. There's uh, Alan Lazard. There's a few of them on the squad. And apparently the Jets coaches were coming to them, kind of poking them about Will McDonald weeks before the draft. So those players said they had a sense that they were going Will McDonald no matter what. You know, draft they seen. You know, you look at the little note that he had, like, no matter what he was going with this. It sounded like the Jets were going in that direction. And he's a freak. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if you guys have heard some of his backstory, but an old hobby of his was jumping over cars like Superman <laughs> and just showing his elite jumping athleticism ability to just – and he's just weird. He's got an odd personality, and maybe you guys will get a sense of that, whether it's Hard Knocks or mm-hmm. some of these other ventures to see kind of his weird personality. He's just different. He's a different cat, and uh, he's unbelievable. The big thing will be the transition, of course. He had unbelievable production um, you know, at Iowa State. Uh, unbelievable. I, I mean, Von Miller-esque kind of production that he had there. But the big thing will be how quickly does he transition to the NFL level. I think no matter what, he's going to be getting pass rush reps. And if he produces with the limited reps he will have, he's just going to continue to get more. So he's but, an absolute freak, but the Jets' defensive line room is pretty deep. I also heard that if he wasn't going to be a Jet, Dallas had him in three times. He was going to be drafted with Dallas. So he was going to be a first-round draft pick. Dallas loved him, and they wanted to put him on the other side of Micah Parsons. And these guys, in a wide nine, and you you see what the Jets are going to do. They're going to use him in the wide nine. This guy is a freak of nature. They say he's great with his hands. He has an unbelievable bend. He had the best bend in this year's draft. And, And bends are very, very important, especially for pass rushers, because if you can run in a bend and use your strength and your length to get to the quarterback, you're going to get a lot of sacks in the league. And I think he's going to be explosive. So for all the people out there that absolutely couldn't stand this draft, this draft pick, I think he's going to be a lot better than people think. Yeah, I think Speedy Petey is the one that brings the bend to this show. That's a, that's kind of my thing. Well, you know, I'm not as explosive as Will, though. Some of that. Well, yeah, you know, you know I, I get a little feeling. He, like hopefully, he doesn't bend in the ways that we think. Okay. No, <laughs> Will McDonald could bend in those ways. I'm not as explosive as Will, Paul. Don't worry about that. Uh, wow. Okay. Uh, I will leave that exactly where you put it. Uh, I will leave that right there on the table. Just, just you if much. you're going to do that, bend forward, Speedy. <laughs> 
yeah. <laughs> See, if I bend forward, I'll hit my microphone and possibly the computer. So I don't know if that's a really good idea for that kind of thing to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's play that safe. Let's play that safe. Oh, He's an exciting kid. Super oh. exciting kid. All right. So off of the uh, explosive comments, uh, we'll, let's go to the free agents. Any, uh, any of them have stood out so far? New guys on the team in free agency uh, that they signed in free agency that look good in the little bits of camps that they've that you've seen? Yeah, the Jets really went with a, uh, you know, not flashy approach to free agency as they've done historically in the past. The biggest guy, money-wise, is Alan Lazard, who signed uh, the four-year deal for $44 million. It's truly a two-year deal for $22 million when you dive into the guarantees. He's a guy that stood out, and, and not just on the field. Obviously, there's a rapport with Aaron Rodgers, but he's been this teacher, and apparently that's one of the reasons why he wanted to come over. He wanted to, you know, he came, what an incredible rise, undrafted free agent, got cut by the Jaguars and then ended up on their practice squad. Packers kind of scoop him up, dust him off, and then he ends up transforming into what he does uh, with Aaron Rodgers being a legitimate piece and then turning it into the mega deal uh, in free agency. He's been a really good guy. Uh, obviously, the system translates. Uh, Nathaniel Hackett, there's that rub. Uh, Nathaniel Hackett was also in Jacksonville when Lazard was, and then also there again uh, with Green Bay. So there's a lot of connections there naturally, so he has a familiarity with the offense. Randall Cobb, from an off-the-field perspective, because he's been recovering uh, from, he had a little bit of a surgery uh, during the offseason, was pondering retirement. So we haven't seen him on the field, but in the same coaching sense, there's been a little bit of that uh, from Randall Cobb. But Lazard has been, if we're going to pick a free agent, he's the one that I think has uh, stood out pretty clearly in every facet of the offseason so far. We are talking to heavy sports Jets digital reporter Paul Eston Jr. Paul, there's a guy that didn't stand out to me enough last year, but I believe will stand out this year. Jermaine Johnson is a guy. The Jets moved up on him. Everybody was talking about Garrett Wilson. Everybody was talking about Sauce Garner. But Jermaine Johnson, when he was on the field, the little bit that he was on the field, he had two and a half sacks last year. He was misused, I think. He could be a three-down type of uh, player if the Jets use him in the right position. What have you seen so far this offseason from Jermaine Johnson? Do you believe that they're going to use him a lot more this year in that defense? I do, yeah. I think sometimes when the Jets, and, and it's a very limited limited sample size, Robert Sala is heading into year three, but this defense line rotation, sometimes when the youngsters come in, uh, the Jets almost force a redshirt year on these youngsters. I mean, look at the defensive snap percentages. This guy barely played last year, uh, but you see the pops and you try to extrapolate those. Like one of the two and a half sacks was the crazy one on Josh Allen. No. How many of us with Josh Allen rolling outside the pocket can a man one-on-one mano-a-mano with this big-ass looking Josh Allen be able to take him down to the ground and so athletically because so many guys can look very silly when Josh Allen rolls outside the pocket and you just see a snap just like that. And you say, wow, if we could get it, and kind of start really spreading this thing, there are going to be some opportunities. So both from a pass rush perspective and run perspective, I think last year was, you know, red shirt year, figure things out. Uh, the Jets wanted him to work on uh, some, uh, you know, a little bit of variety in the diet from a pass rushing perspective, not just be a speed rusher, not just be a bull rusher, like give us a little bit of everything. And that was a bit of a translation from the collegiate game to the professional game. So 100%, I think he's going to be rising higher. Will McDonald may even suffer a little bit of that Jermaine Johnson syndrome of having to redshirt a little bit early on. 
he will still get some reps. But, yeah, I think he's naturally going to move up in the defensive line pecking order. It's up to him. If he delivers, he will continue to get more reps. But uh, he's got a very high ceiling of opportunity, and I think he's going to get uh, maybe even double the snaps that he got last year. Those two are the future for the Jets, McDonald mm-hmm. and Jermaine Johnson. For the next two or three years, you're going to see, obviously, Lawson will probably be gone after this year. I expect him, him to be gone. Uh, they brought him back. He wanted to be here. I think a lot of these guys, C.J. Mosley will probably be gone at the end of the season. He's had a fantastic, when he does play, he's fantastic. He was an all-pro, second-team all-pro player uh, this past season. He's been a big leader to this team. Unless he takes less money, I expect him to be gone. I expect Carl Lawson to be gone. So the Jets are trying to restructure this defense in the Robert Sala way like he did in with the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah, I would just keep an eye out for mostly his agent and the Jets have had conversations about a restructure. And if that happens, mm. he would be guaranteed to be back in 2024. Okay. So the Jets are trying to work some money because there's a Quinnen extension that's hanging out there. The Aaron Rodgers restructure has to happen. He's owed $107 million and guaranteed next year, which is not palatable. So you're going to have to move stuff around. So there's some money to be moved which could lead to some pay cuts and restructures. Corey Davis getting a pay cut. Uh, I project that to happen. CJ mostly getting restructured to keep him for 2024, create cap space for this season. So there's some finagling uh, to be had. I mean, if you look at the Jets roster, I mean, have we ever seen an offensive team like for, from the New York Jets as talented as this? You still have, you still have Davis there. You have Alan Lazar. You have Garrett Wilson. That's just three guys. I mean, you have Denzel Mims there, who could probably lose a spot because of all the talent there. You have Randall Cobb there. You have all Michael these. Nicole yeah. Harmon. I mean, who they, they who they signed this offseason. Another speed demon uh, that could be used on the outside or even in the slot. They they have so many. I've never seen the Jets have weapons like this. And not that doesn't even stop what they could have at the running back position. Brees Hall and then uh, Michael Carter. And then, by the way, they're talking about Dalvin Cook now. So, well, I mean, yeah. it's crazy how many weapons. And then you have Aaron Rodgers throwing the ball. I mean, last year we had, uh, you know, Zach Wilson, okay, as our guy. I mean, I know a and lot the of – legend of Mike White. And Mike White and, and Joe, Joe – old man Joe, old man Joe. Chris Trevler got in <laughs> on prime time, yeah. yeah. They had four, four guys, guys. They had four guys that throw, what, 14 touchdowns? To 17 interceptions? I don't think it was that many. I think it was even less. But, yeah, yeah, not great. Not good. Chris Chris Streveler is Jets preseason legend, Chris Streveler. That's it. And it is all this comeback of victories. The fans going crazy for him. Give me a break. When he gets cut and then gets back on the practice squad. (laughs) It was, yeah, it it is classic Jets preseason. So I'm looking forward to who is Chris Streveler this year. And in terms of expectations, I don't think there has been – like what we're talking about right now. Like, for instance, obviously the 2015 year jumps out because the Jets had two 1,000-yard receivers. Brandon Marshall had 1,500 yards. Eric Decker had a 1,000-yard season. Chris Ivory had a 1,000-yard rushing season. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick threw 31 touchdown passes. So there was record-breaking offense, but it was a surprise. Like, none of us went into that season going, whoa, watch out for this record-breaking year. This year's different because there is hype. There is expectations. The NFL's expectations. The Jets are in five, six primetime games, depending on whether you consider the Black Friday standalone game or primetime game, like they are fully expected to make some noise and make some things happen. And it's hard for 
Jet fans and even Jets media's brains to really wrap themselves around having a four-time NFL MVP, a quarterback, distributing to all those sexy weapons that you just said. So expectations are high. Yeah, speaking of those weapons, you brought up Dalvin Cook, and there's been a lot of talks with not only the Jets, but a lot of the, like every other team in the AFC East going after yeah. Dalvin Cook. We've heard the Broncos, too, the Bears. Uh, what price range would you go after Dalvin Cook for if you would want him for the Jets? And you think the Jets would pay a little extra to take him away from, say, the Miami Dolphins? It's a great question, Speedy Petey, is, uh, and it's quite simple. Yes, the Jets are very interested. Uh, the latest thing uh, came out today from Mike Florio of Pro Football Talk, uh, that the Jets are more interested than you think. A level of paraphrasing with this reporting, that they're more interested than you'd think because of the Brees Hall uh, injury and coming back. And they've been interested since before he was even cut about a potential trade. They didn't go that far with the trade stuff like the Dolphins that were apparently pretty close in those trade conversations. But, yes, I'm all in on it because everyone recovers from an ACL differently, and you don't know what Brees Hall is going to be. He could be 2012 Adrian Peterson. I suppose that's possible in the realm of possibilities, but I don't. if I'm putting my money and life and house on the line, I'm not betting on that being a reality. That seems more so an outlier than – what is going to be relied upon in history. So if the Jets brought in a Dalvin Cook, and I'll get to your money question part of it in a second, <laughs> if you brought in a Dalvin Cook who could carry the rock early in the year, let you be cautious with Brees Hall, then when Brees Hall's back, you can extend both of their shelf lives because they could both stay healthy and stay and, and you know kind of split up some of the reps so you always have a dynamic guy in the field, but you could keep them rested, and especially since the Jets have hopes and aspirations to make a little bit of a playoff run here. In terms of the money, I'm willing to go five, six, seven, eight million either on a one-year deal or you could get funky with void years and make it a multi-year deal, which apparently Dalvin Cook's camp is open to, and then f feature some incentives in there. I don't think we get to the true $11 million base that he was scheduled to make with the Minnesota Vikings, but I think we could get right around there, nine, 10 million plus the incentives. So like it's close enough for Dalvin and plus he's still getting 2 million guaranteed from the Vikings this year, which I think can make it a little bit more palatable if he's going to take, you know, double dip, so to speak, you get money from another team as well. He could say, okay, I'll take a little less because the Vikings are still paying my ass too. Uh, so yeah, he's a dynamic weapon. There's a lot of teams in the mix. And to your point, if I'm the Jets, I already think Dalvin Cook's a good fit, regardless of other teams' interest. When I hear the other teams that are vying for him are the Miami Dolphins, New England Patriots, I'm like, what did I what did I just offer you? Uh, increase it by five percent. Like whatever. It's the Christmas vacation end, you know, <laughs> increase the Christmas bonus by twenty uh, percent what you made last year. I'm willing to go to that <laughs> length for Dalvin Cook. You don't want if you don't get him, you better be sure. Because there are some analytical crowds that have said he's washed and over the hill. If you believe that, washed. you better be right. Because yeah, that's what some people are saying. But I don't He's still efficient that. though. Yeah. How many I mean, yards I, did he have last year? <laughs> he's washed. He had eleven hundred. How many touchdowns did he have? He had six or seven yeah, touchdowns. Oh yeah, he's washed off. I just don't get it. I just think the nerds in the back of the room sometimes are just speaking too loud. And, and I think sometimes he's just one of the most productive running backs in the NFL over the last four years. That's why I draw on say, hmm, he's pretty good. Top five running back, top ten running back, put him where you want. He's a top five. He's a top, top five. So I think he's just so dynamic, and I'd be willing to do it. I'd be willing to pay the price. I'd be willing to pay over to make sure he doesn't go to a right. Everything that I've read is he didn't, he didn't get along with Kevin O'Connell, and Kevin O'Connell wanted to throw the ball. He had Jefferson, and Jefferson was demanding the ball. He is the best wide receiver right now in football, and even though he was getting his touches, he wasn't getting enough. So, And, and I think he forced his way. He doesn't want to be there anymore. He doesn't want to be in Minnesota. I think he'll take less if he can go to a Super Bowl contender where he can get the touches. He's going to touch it you know, between 
70, 80 times this year, and he's going to be able to run the ball and be a, a main offensive piece to a great offense. So it's interesting. There's also other players that could be available if they don't get Dalvin Cook. There's Kareem Hunt. There's Leonard Fournette. There's Ezekiel Elliott. So there, there are guys that could be available. You're not going to have to overpay that would come to the Jets and be that other option for the New York Jets. What do you think about that? Yeah, it doesn't have to be Cook. I just think Cook is the best player available, mm-hmm. and I don't think there's any questions about it. So if you're going to upgrade, why not go for the best possible upgrade you can? You know, If you're going to go out for dinner, why go out to some scrub-ass place? Go to the best possible place. I do it all the time. I go to Applebee's. Do what you got to do. But if if you just say, you know what, I don't want to pay the money it's going to take. Because Dalvin Cook, of course, you're going to get what you pay for. You're going to have to pay a little bit more on Cook than you are some of these other options. But if you want to get a value, I think the best value available is Kareem Hunt. He -hmm. led the league in rushing in 2017. He is a guy that – so he had the ceiling, which you love. Like, Mm -hmm. wow, he led the league in rushing during his career. Wow, he has a lot of tread on the tires because he's worked with another partner. He's never been Batman. He's Batman and Robin. So, like, when you go to Cleveland, you have Nick Chubb. Like, Nick Chubb gets a ton of work, so that means less work on Kareem Hunt. So, even his age at 27, you say, wow, he's really, like, 25 or 24 because he hasn't gotten the same mileage that running backs normally get. He's pass blocking, can catch a ball to the backfield. Again, I want Cook because I think he's a better player straight up. But if I'm looking for the best value, I, I think Kareem Hunt checks off all the boxes you're looking for. It's going to be dirt cheap. We're talking two or three million, maybe, mm-hmm. uh, and he'll be a training camp ad. A lot cheaper than Dalvin Cook. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. a lot cheaper. I would say a lot cheaper. I, I maybe a third of what Dalvin Cook ends up making. I, I wouldn't be surprised. So the, the big monkey in the room for the Jets is signing Quinn and Williams. What have you, the, what's the latest you've heard on that? Yeah, it's uh, the latest report we heard from uh, Tom Pelissero on Good Morning Football. It's been, and this is the duh statement, it has been slow developing on the Quinnen thing. And I think there's a battle of identities here because Joe Douglas, the general manager for the New York Jets, likes having control and flexing control. So, like, if he has team control on a guy, he's it's almost like, without even saying it, like, shut up and get back in line. I'll pay you what I want to pay you. So, technically, he could say that. Quinnen's under contract in 2023. That's the fifth-year option. And then they have two franchise tags to use after that if they wanted to. So, technically speaking, the Jets have three years of team control on Quinnen. Of course, just because you have team control doesn't mean you should use it. For instance, here at the house, every once in a while, I feel like I have one up on my fiancé. And I'm like, ha, 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 I've got one up on you, pal. And then when I try to force that, then all of a sudden things start breaking down in the house. I'm like, you know what? Just because I had the leverage doesn't necessarily mean I should try to use it. She still feeds me. And if I want to have food, I probably shouldn't be going too crazy. (laughs) So going back to it here, Joe Douglas could use that kind of leverage on a guy like Quinnen. But I just feel like for the locker room, you've had a lot of Jet players this offseason be very vocal on social media uh using the hashtag extend q and if you do it i think it's a great message for the locker room you also avoid as we talked about earlier the roscoe diner hard knock situation which would just be drama for no reason <laughs> i think ultimately this deal gets done ahead of camp and uh, camp players come back to uh the jet facilities uh, starting on july 19th they could come a little earlier than that but that's the report day so i think it gets done right around report day they came uh, they come in because the market's established 
you know, the second highest paid defense tackle of football is $23.5 million. That's Jeff Simmons. Then there's Aaron Donald's ass at $31 million. It's going to be in between that range, leaning more towards Jeff Simmons. So I'm expecting $24, $25, million, $26 million per year, four- or five-year deal, which will be the richest deal in Jets history. So I think it's going to get done. It's obviously just been slow, and I think because the Jets are having a little bit of that identity crisis, whether to pay him now or wait. We are talking to heavy sports Jets digital reporter Paul Esten Jr. Nathaniel Hackett. We all know about Mike LaFleur. He just an absolute failure. That offense just looked horrendous. One of the worst offenses in the league for the last two seasons. Finally, the Jets woke up and decided to part ways. They interviewed Nathaniel Hackett. They loved him. And I think that was a way to draw Aaron Rodgers to come here. What have you seen so far from Nathaniel Hackett? And what has he said at the press conference when you've seen him and, and asked him the questions on how he wants to run this offense this year with Aaron Rodgers? Yeah, the last I'll go to your last question first, and that's the big mystery because uh, Nathaniel Hackett, one of the things he did say on one of these documentaries and diving in even deeper into it is he said the thing he prides himself on is obviously he's been everywhere. He was in Buffalo. He was here in Syracuse locally. He was in Jacksonville, Green Bay, obviously. What he said he wants to do is pick the best things from all those locations and have a brand new playbook with the best from everywhere he's ever been. Like he doesn't just want to say, oh, let me just copy the same thing I did in Green Bay and redo it. And obviously Aaron Rodgers is going to have complete control of this offense in terms of audibles, uh, taking things out of what Hackett wanted to do and vice versa and kind of do this conglomerate playbook uh, together here. So to be honest, it is a little TBD to see what it looks like on the field ultimately. But what we understand is that he is going to be pulling things from all levels of his uh, previous coaching stops. And I'm just kind of excited to see what that looks like, because just because he's been labeled the offensive coordinator in certain spots, Matt LaFleur was calling plays for the Green Bay Packers, so not him. But he was responsible for a lot of the key ingredients that led to those two MVPs for Aaron Rodgers, which he was a part of on that Packer staff, labeled as the offensive coordinator. So he's a very interesting cat. He's kind of a weird cat. It's kind of a cool full circle moment because his father, Paul Hackett, was the Jets' offensive coordinator when they won? They last won the division back in 2002, and those are the Curtis Martins, Chad Penningtons, and, and all those Jets were on the team. So Nathaniel Hackett said it's really cool full-circle moment to come back to the Jets where his father cut his teeth a little bit with uh, Gang Green and to be able to hopefully deliver uh, in the same light. So it's been a, a pretty fun from that perspective, but TBD. Uh, to be blunt on what this offense ultimately looks like with Aaron Rodgers at the helm. So I think conceptually last year for the Jets defense, the two biggest weaknesses were covering screen passes and covering tight ends. Do you think they did enough with the signings and some of the young players that you've seen in the middle of the field, the linebackers and the safeties, to be able to solve those issues? I think one thing that will help, and it seems weird to say, but the offense being competent, because I think (laughs) one game you can immediately point to, Petey, of like was like disgusting was the Jaguars game. Yes. Evan Ingram. Who? Yes. Evan Ingram slicing and dicing the gosh darn Jets. And Jets fans were laughing at the Giants because they drafted him initially in the first round. They said, ha-ha, bust. And all these stone hands was making all these dumbass plays. And he goes to Jacksonville, and on Thursday Night Football, the only primetime game of the year. Embarrass the Jets. Like Evan, the, the ghost of Evan Ingram is killing the Jets? What What in God's green earth? So really, The best game he ever played in MetLife Stadium. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, tell Giant fans that. And uh, the the fact of the matter is, is that the Jaguars just said, we're going to pick on the the Jets linebackers, and we're just going to go after them. And then the screens, that plays to the over-aggressive Jets defensive line, because they pin their ears back and just go bananas, and they do that every time. And then all you have to do is just be patient, 
let them come, and then boop, right over the top and kill them. So have they done enough for that? I think the thing that will help, which is, like I said, kind of weird, is the offense being competent. Think about this. In that Jaguars game, Quinton Williams, who we just mentioned, had a strip sack of Trevor Lawrence. The Jets got the ball at, like, the 15-yard line. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, baby, how, how better to start a game? The crowd's into it. It's a home game. It's prime time. You just got a strip sack. Here is a touchdown on a silver platter. Here you go, Jets. Take the game. Three and out. Boop, boop, boop. Field goal. Zach Wilson couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. And then all hell broke loose. And then I think sometimes last year what happens is the defense, I don't know if it was on purpose, but kind of threw their hands up like offense, for God's sakes, throw us a bone here. And I think they felt overused in a lot of those situations. And then some of that lackadaisical play kind of came out. So with Aaron Rodgers being able to deliver a level of uh, competence offensively, I don't think the defense will be put in as many bad positions. Ultimately, uh, the proof will be in the pudding in terms of whether they've done enough from a linebacker perspective. I will say that I think the thing that is a winning formula is you have elite corner play. Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed were both great in the top 10 in all the analytics. And Michael Carter II, who's in their slot, was great in inside the top 15. So you have three corners that are all in the top 15 of the top analytics in terms of coverage. So when you have great corner play and then you have a dynamic pass rusher like Quinnen and then everyone else that will feed in, if your only weakness is potentially getting nickel and dime by tight ends, you're going to win a lot of football games if you're able to overcome that. But safety is still a weakness to your point, and linebacker depth is certainly a question. If injuries hit those positions, it could get pretty ugly pretty quick. Paul, last question for me, Makai Becton, and he is so very yeah. important to this offensive line. I heard he lost a significant amount of weight this offseason. He looks really, really good. He's very confident. He's been attacking the Jets all over social media because he believes he's a left tackle. Uh, Some people believe that he will be starting at right tackle because Dwayne Brown is there. What are your thoughts to a guy like Makai Becton? He is on his final year, and the Jets could decide they didn't give him his fifth-year option. The Jets could part ways with him. If he has a good season, they can sign him. Where do you see Makai Becton this year? Where does he fit, and, and what type of player could he be this year? Yeah, I will start with what you started with. I will throw rose petals. This is a guy, for people who don't know uh, the weight thing, in 2021, and he's had back-to-back uh, season-ending injuries. In 2021, he ballooned over 400 pounds. Okay, So have that number in your head for a second, over 400 pounds, according to Rich Smeenan. You go to his latest. Uh, he won't officially step on the scale till training camp, so we won't have that official number till then. But the last number we know and he did a full dive, a deep dive interview where he also called out the uh, Jets coaching staff, is he stepped on the scale at 342 pounds. So first off, he's lost over 60 pounds in that time span, which is wild to say out loud. And then number two, when he was at the NFL Combine, he weighed in at 365. The NFL Combine is your biggest job interview of your life, and he, in his best shape, was 365. Right now, he's at least 340, which is 25 pounds lighter than what his quote-unquote best weight was. So he's in the best shape of his life. We always say that during the offseason. Well, this guy looks lean and lean, the best shape <laughs> I've ever seen him, and no question about it. Like So that gets overplayed. But, I mean, for Mekhi Becton, it's real. To go to the now, ha-ha, isn't that great? Rose petals. It, wow, this guy was on Weight Watchers. This is great. Now, here's the, here's the prop. Mekhi Becton ain't playing left tackle. The worst kept secret in the world, and the, I anticipate Robert Sala announcing this on the very first day of training camp, just like he did last year. 
he's been kind of playing around with it. Who knows? We'll see what happens. But on the first day of training camp, I imagine him saying Dwayne Brown is our left tackle, who, by the way, has only played left tackle at the NFL level, and he's been in been in the league for 17 years. So I don't anticipate that old dog learning a new trick. So then Mekhi Becton's only other choice is right tackle, and that's where I believe he's going to play. Mekhi Becton, in some of the shots that we've seen from practice, he was practicing out of a right tackle stance. Is that happenstance? Is that random? Was that a weird curiosity thing we noticed? I don't know. I guess we'll find out in two weeks. I fully anticipate him being the right tackle and Dwayne Brown being the left. And he's not very happy about it, as he's made that abundantly clear this offseason. But he has no choice. He's in a contract year. If he says, like, F you, Jets, I'm not playing right tackle, then his big ass is going to be on the bench. So I don't think he's going to push it to that level because, of course, this is a good year for him. If he just shuts up and plays right tackle and he dominates, he's either going to get the franchise tag from the Jets, which is very nice money. He's either going to get a long-term deal from the Jets, more money, or some other team is going to give him a pile of money in free agency. So it's a win-win-win-win if he just delivers. The ball's in his court, and we'll see what he does with it. I'm rooting for the guy. It's a great story. He's only played 48 snaps over the last two years because of injuries, but obviously has all the potential in the world. An AFC scout said he had, quote-unquote, Hall of Fame traits when he was playing as a rookie. That's the highest praise you could get. He, of course, just has to stay on the field to realize that kind of potential. I think the most important part of that offensive line is Elijah Vera Tucker. And as long as yeah. he's healthy, he play, he, to me, he was an all-pro player. He was a fourth because C.J. Mosley was a second-team all-pro. So Correct. I think all four of these guys could really produce this year. And I think Elijah Vera Tucker is the, one of the top three offensive linemen in all of football. So I, I think if he shows up this year, he played four different positions. He didn't give up one sack all season last year. That tells you what he is and what type of player he is and why the Jets made that move to get him at number 14. I think he's fantastic. I really do. I think he is going to get the national respect. Again, I'm glad that on the Sports Loudmouth show, he does not slip through the gosh darn cracks. No. That's good to see. But I do think on a greater sense, a lot of people go, ABT, who the hell is that? So I think with hard knocks and just in general, the primetime games, like, oh, Elijah Tucker, oh, Elijah Tucker. When he gets shoved down their throat, they're going to be like, holy shit, this guy's good. Like, where did he come from? Like, no, he's been good the entire time, but he just, like, you guys just didn't know about him because the Jets have sucked. So I think he's going to get his roses this year, and deservedly so. He's a, he's a nice young man and a super talented football player. So my last question is just from the, you being in Jets media, just the roller coaster of the Aaron, Aaron Rodgers saga this offseason. We were thinking the trade was going to happen right at the start of the free agency process and end up going to the draft. Just you covering the Jets this whole time. Like, what was that, what was that whole process like? Well, I, I'll tell you this. So I was a part of the Jets Flight 23 documentary. So mm-hmm. they brought me into their team facilities. They uh, we went to the hotel, came over there. It was February, like, 27, 28th. So that's when we're recording, right? So free agency at, at time of recording is, like, two-ish weeks away. And they did this hour-plus sit-down interview with me. And, of course, some of the questions they brought up is, oh, quarterback conversation. Who do you think it's going to be? And I answer it. I said, oh, it's obviously Aaron Rodgers. You're not going after anybody else. And then after the interview's over, I'm talking to the guys. I'm like, shit, you guys better turn this over quick. We're in season two weeks. Like, man, who knows? The Jets could have their quarterback by then. LOL now, because it was four months later that we ended up finding out Aaron Rodgers ended up getting freaking traded there. But at the time, it just seemed like it was going to happen. But it was like the most known dragged on thing in history. Like, I felt pretty confident, and it was March 15th is when Aaron Rodgers showed up on the Pat McAfee show and said, I'm, pl- I'm playing for the Jets this year. That's my intention. I went, okay, he, well, he's on the team. It, it, the formality is figuring out the trade thing. So I was convinced at that moment 1,000% that he was coming. 
But obviously from the March 15th of, I intend to play for the Jets. I intend to win a million dollars, but it didn't happen <laughs> until uh, draft week. It was that uh, Tuesday, Wednesday uh, that they ended up getting it official right before the draft. So a month and a half later, it was just a wild roller coaster, to be honest, because every room, like Jet fans are crazy. The Derek Carr thing, I don't know if you guys yep. heard about this story, mm-hmm. but Derek Carr visits the Jets and they go out to some fancy Italian restaurant to like talk to him. And some Jet fan sneaks into the private closed-off restaurant and snaps a picture of Derek Carr with Robert Sala and what they're drinking and their food order. Like, it just got wild, man. So, like, Jet fans are just everywhere crazy trying to get any scoop that they can on this situation. So it's just kind of a wild, hmm, Derek Carr, hmm, Jimmy Garoppolo, hmm, Aaron Rodgers. Like, people were throwing all kinds of crap at the wall to see what sticks. But ultimately, they got Aaron Rodgers. It's been wild and unexpected, I will say. Again, him being there for the full voluntary offseason programs, I did not see that happening him you know kind of assimilating both to the media which a lot of people had questions about and also to his new teammates again he's going to be 40 during the season and this Jets roster is a lot of young guys it'd be very easy for him to come walking around Mr. 1% I'm I'm Aaron Rodgers and all you guys are scrubs like bow down to me but no he's just been super like a normal guy which seems crazy to say about a guy named Aaron Rodgers who doesn't seem anything normal by all accounts (laughs) He's just done a really good job of, like, you know, becoming as relatable as possible to his teammates, and uh, they're all in love with him, which has been great. So, whole honeymoon right now, but uh, it's uh, it's been a wild ride for sure. I will say this. Derek Carr wanted to be a Jet. I don't care what anybody yeah, says. Sure he he yeah. really wanted it. But I, I do believe that the Jets told him he wasn't their number one guy, that he would have to sit back and wait until we decide or – Aaron decides where he, what he wants to do or where he wants to go, and I don't think Derek wanted to hear that. I think Derek wanted to hear he was the number one option, and that's why he went to the Saints. So uh, I made a bet with somebody, one of the fans on our network, and I said before the season was over, I bet that the Jets are going to get Aaron Rodgers or Derek Carr, and he told me, I'll bet you, and he bet me that if none of those guys – or if any of those guys go to the Jets, any one of those guys, he would eat dog crap, okay? He, will, oh he would go outside and put dog crap in his mouth. I have not – I have not – well, we made the bet, and I'm still waiting to fall through with that bet. He said oh, I have two God. weeks. He says I have two weeks to force him to do that. So uh, it will be the, the next two weeks, and he will be eating dog wow. poop. So uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that. <laughs> He's going to have to transform himself. You've got to hold them to it, though. I've seen people do it all the time on social media. If this happens, I, I just saw one. I'm going to eat a live pig. And then the thing happens. They're like, shit. Like, like Jesus, people. Like, for Pete's sake, like, let's, uh, let's uh, think about some of these things. But you have to live through with it. You have to be a man of your word. If he you is. Some level of a guarantee. So that's good to hear. I am... Looking forward to, not looking forward to him eating dog shit. <laughs> well, <laughs> nobody, the one thing he pro- I, I promised him because he told me he's not, he doesn't want it posted or recorded on social media. He says he'll do it. He'll put me on, he'll put me on a video feed. He'll go outside and he will pick up a nice pile of dog crap and put it in his mouth. So he is, I'm going to do it either this weekend or sometime next week. So, and, and, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing this guy eat dog crap. He's going to have to transform himself <laughs> into becoming a Philadelphia Eagles uh, inner city fan because that's all they did after their Super Bowl. Right. Yeah, 
horse. Oh my god, that's awesome. <laughs> Jesus. The horse poop? Like, what are we doing? <laughs> a couple of weeks ago on our show, we had... He's a, a Patriot fan, by the way. Yeah, a couple of weeks on yeah, our I'm show... I'm sorry to hear that. Paul, we also had an ex-running back... Or no, he's a free agent running back. He's, not, he's still playing Kenyon Barner. And when Errol told him yes. that, he got so freaked out. <laughs> yeah, it's disgusting. I just saw... I just saw. Uh, I think it must have been the Eagles Super Bowl after the fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, a woman went right after a horse's fresh crap and said, Go Eagles! Ah! And I'm like, what the... You know, Jesus, can we celebrate in different ways? I mean, I, you know, I, I've heard creative, but uh, not willing to dabble in those uh, waters. That's for certain. Well, we really appreciate your time. As always, we love you. Keep up the good work, and uh, we'll get that. you on soon, bud. Can't wait. Thanks, everybody. Paul Eston Jr., he's fantastic. He really oh, is. Yeah. He knows his stuff. He's a Jet guy. I, I know a lot of these jet, uh, these non-Jet fans, oh, it's not like you talk about the Jets all, all throughout the show. And listen, there are Jet fans. There's a ton of Jet fans that listen to this show. So we're going to bring Jet guys on. And I'm a Jet fan, and I want to hear what he has to say. So s- screw you guys. How's that? Anyways. I appreciate it. Yes. And I, I love Paul. So And Paul, Paul's an interesting cat, man. He is definitely interesting. I, I watch... His podcast, it's very, very funny. And some of the guests that he has on, he lets them have it. And I like it. I love it. That's what I try to do. Uh, But uh, thanks, guys. I appreciate the support. And until next time. Yes. Yes. Paul Eston Jr. It's great. He's fantastic. He's very funny, too. He knows his stuff. Absolutely. He definitely knows his stuff. He's... He's a big Jet guy. He was on Flight 23. I actually saw him on Flight 23. And uh, listen... He's one of the more known Jet analysts, podcast, and, and a guy that is very well respected by the New York Jets org- organization. Go ahead, put him through. Uh, I know he's got something to say, and I know he's going to say something stupid. Go ahead, Jeff. <clears throat> Man, that guy's got some energy, doesn't he? He's got what? He's got energy, doesn't he? He's got a lot of energy. He's a Jet fan. Oh, Homeboy should switch to decaf. <laughs> yes, I'm sure he's drinking coffee at uh, 11.52. <laughs> you know, it, I think it was a great segment. You guys don't nearly talk enough about the Jets, so to have him on for that amount of time is terrific. But I wanted to switch gears maybe and talk about the best power hitter in New York tonight. <laughs> you said, no good, can't do it. Two minutes after you say that, he goes yard. Good. It's like everything you touch turns to shit. Like everything really? You and you're going to be eating it, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, I, don't have a, I don't have a problem with it. It's game on. But everything you touch immediately then turns to shit. Get out no, of no, here, no. Jeff. Je- Jeff, our show is the sports lab mouth. Josh's show is game on. Yeah, yes. And, and just so you know, and just so you know, because he had a home run, this guy has not been hitting a lot of home runs since he's come back. One. A Pete Alonso has hit more home runs tonight than Aaron Judge has in the last month. Good. And and that has a lot to do with his toe injury. So good. Best availability is availability. Well, listen, you can't pr- you can't produce if you're not getting on the field, right? Could you stop, Jeff? Stop. What is it with you in hating the New York Yankees? What is it? What is it? It's, it's not the Yankees. Yes, it's it delusional. is. It's delusional fans. Really? Delusional? Yourself. You're gonna tell yes. you keep telling me that the, that Aaron Judge wasn't the best player in the league last year, and no, then you're no, arguing. No, but it. you're but you're very delusional. You, you I am not delusional. Golden luck balls didn't exist. Beanie, did they exist? I think later in the season, yeah, they did. But still, right, right, right. But their on. other right, opponents right. were getting them too. 
but Speedy, you must be dumb because they didn't exist according to Earl. First of all, I said the last 10 home runs that he hit, they had different balls. Yes, they, they did. They had a marking on it. But it's not to, true. Yes, it is. Balls. They, were, they I, were putting those balls good, in place since good. the All-Star break. Since before the All-Star good. break, they were going in blind. Yes, because a ca- well, who said it? A chemist said it? or yeah, I, astrophysicist. Yeah, astrophysicist. Whatever. Give me a break, Jeff. I, I, I don't care what anybody says. And the guy that was writing the story, and I'll go back and back and forth with it. The same guy that writes that this, story is the same guy that attacks the Yankee, Yankees on, this, in the newspaper. This is, what dumb, this, this is what dummies do to try to discredit something. Is they attack the I'm a dummy. Oh, I'm a he dummy. Hates me. He hates me. So, they, so he's just out to get me. The story can't You're the idiot when when Aaron Judge was hitting 291 and four, he had 19 home runs and 40 RBIs telling me that Pete Alonso was a better power hitter when he had what 100 more at bats and hit what three or four more home runs and and what right, eight but, more RBIs right, right, give me right, a right, break your Jeff production, your production is going to slow down because you've been playing so much you're going to be tired oh that's is that what it is it. really that's what, didn't dude, slow down for season, Aaron Judge last year did it the season right well Goldilocks balls oh yeah you know, Goldilocks balls Goldilocks balls he almost won the well, triple crown last year. Goldilocks balls. Yeah, Goldilocks blo- balls. Whatever. Yeah, that has a real impact on uh, batting average, especially. <laughs> that could also be a flyout. So it can, but it's not guaranteed. Right, but it can, though, right? So it can't help. How long did it take run. Aaron Judge to hit his final home run? It took him like 10 or 12 games. So you're telling well, me because Goldilocks ball, so, he, so right. he, he couldn't right, hit it out with the Goldilocks ball? Right, but you're ignoring the factor, the recent iterations of these Yankee teams, they choke when the pressure gets on. Oh, right? stop it, Jeff. Stop, Jeff. Sox, what happened to the wild card game with the, with the Red Sox? Did they, did they show up? Did Kermit show up? No, Kermit got rocked. Yeah, and Kermit's one of the best the pitchers in baseball right now. And he couldn't handle the pressure. Yeah, he couldn't handle the pressure, but he's handling the pressure now. And and you well, you, you comparing? Not, yeah. not, not a lot of pressure early in the season. Yeah, and we're going to sit here and, and say Otani's been so great as a pitcher this year when Kermit has been pitching better than him. And because he hits. Garrett Cole was not the first elite pitcher in regular season baseball history to struggle in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Right, and then you're trying to compare them, but how many home runs does Garrett Cole have? Garrett Cole doesn't hit. Exactly. Oh, exactly. So does does Shea Otani does he pitch every day? Does he play the field every day? He doesn't. He and stop comparing. Stop comparing he, he, Aaron he Judge to Otani. I'm taking the guy that plays when he's healthy, plays every day, than a guy that pitches every fifth does day. Play, stop. Does stop, Jeff. Day? Stop. Does Otani does Otani play every day? What? He's a DH. That's is, what he is. is. Not playing every day. I, no, he's not. He's hitting every day, but he's not playing the field every day. So, when you have a so guy he, that plays the field as a five-tool player, you're going to take the pitcher over the so, five-tool player? Come on, Jeff. You're pitchers, on drugs. Pitchers can, pitchers can be worth more. Pitchers have the biggest contract really? in baseball. Really? Pitchers have... Pitchers are pitchers are consistently getting the best contracts. Look at Rodon. Who it's I not going to be for much longer. It's not going to be for much longer. Right, but you have, but you have Scherzer. You have uh, Verlander. You have Cole got a big contract got a big contract. Pitchers are getting big contracts. So. That's going to stop soon, my friend, with everything going on with the bullpens. The bullpens are more important than the starting pitching in the playoffs, and everybody knows that. Go look at the teams uh, that have won the last couple I don't, of years. I don't, I, don't, I don't know about that, right? Because the, the key, a lot of the key to the playoffs for teams is having a starting pitcher that'll go like six innings, and then you can get to the bullpen and go a different guy in seven, eight, and nine. 
and it's more effective rather than, you know, you get those Severino starts like tonight. He lasted like two innings because he was giving up home runs everywhere. You know, 14 to one tonight, whatever, Severino. And when they only go two innings, then it's a strain on your bullpen. So you need the starting pitcher to quell some of the, the tiredness for the bullpen. You don't necessarily have to pay them that big of contracts, though. And I think that's where the trend might be going. It's where, going that way. Where maybe the best starting pitchers will still get in the low 30s, but they're not going to get 40, something like Scherzer and Verlander have been getting. They're not getting $30 million. It's all going to transition to the bullpen. And, and with, with baseball the way it's going and how they're doing it, they're going to play the they're going to pay the everyday players more than the pitchers. Because I mean, right now... I say that, but this offseason, Rodan got the biggest contract this offseason, didn't he? No, he didn't. Justin Furlander. No, 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 no. I mean, like, total, total dollar. No. Uh, well, yeah, I guess because he's seven years, technically, yeah, but still. like That was a good deal by the, the Yankees. Yankees. The Yankees are only technically paying him $27 million a year. <laughs> For one of the best left-handed pitchers hold in on, baseball. Hold on, you just called it a good deal, and the dude hasn't even pitched this year. And so what? Like, it, is a, it is. $27 million? It is. And when he does come back, which will probably be at the end of July, you add a pitcher to that pitching staff, who, by the way, their pitching staff is in the top ten. Their bullpen's the number one hold in baseball. Hold on, hold on, hold yeah, on. Hold what? On. Hold on, hold what? On, hold on, though. Mm-hmm. What if he keeps getting hurt? What if he's like Chris Sale and he keeps getting hurt? It could be that just... way, but that doesn't mean it's necessarily right, right now so... judging now. You could say that in hindsight right. if that's the case, but nobody was saying right. that about Chris Sale was, right, was you, badly right, overpaid. But also, right, but you also can't say that right now about Rodon because you can't go, oh, that was a good deal. The dude hasn't thrown one pitch yet for the Yankees, and he's cost you $27 million. Okay, but again, you're looking at – the starting pitching market the way it was, and he's a young pitcher that's been on a good track record for three years of not getting hurt. 2019 was the last year he got hurt. He just happened to get hurt this year because, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give the Yankees crap on that. Maybe they didn't do their homework on the injuries, but like I think the I deal think they was did. still good. Though. I think they did. I they, think that they was, realized they were taking a chance because – when he is healthy, he's one of the more dominant left-handed pitchers in baseball. And he has the best fastball in baseball. Not, Fact. Not only that, his market value was about 30 a year, and the Yankees got him for $3 million less in terms of the average annual value. So from that standpoint, it's not judging, all right, the market value is going to be overpaying for somebody. If you were to say that a left-handed pitcher that's 28 years old or whatever is that's been healthy the last two and a half years and pitch, has pitched very well and has been an all-star in two different leagues is bad market value, you would say that's crazy. Like, that's good market value for what other teams are going to pay him. I was willing for the Mets to sign him because I didn't want them to get Verlander. I was willing for the Mets to go after Rodon. I would have even given him seven years and $30 million. The Mets would be sitting. They would be happy that even if Rodon was out for the, the – the whole first half of the season. They would still be happy that he'd be back in the second half of the season pitching as their number one guy. So let, it, let me let me let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Trevor Story, good contract? A decent, I didn't like I didn't like it at the contract. time, but I, I'm not gonna say it's like horrible. It's a decent right. contract. Right. The so, Devers oh, just de- the just, Devers just, contract just, wasn't just good. Decent. Just 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 decent though, right? Because six years 140 million, that's twenty three point three million dollars a year. And he hasn't really played at all either. He's played like three months out of these last two seasons. Right. He hasn't really played at all. He was really good last year. Contract. What's that? He was really good last year. He wasn't really good last year. He was bad, actually. Was it last yeah, year or the year before? Wasn't. It was his last year with Colorado. He was good. That's no, no, no. He, was, he played well last year in the first half of the season. 
in small spurts, but not consistently well. And Extremely that's... small spurts. Ian, yeah. by the way, he missed half of last year. He was hurt a lot. Yeah. He was now, hurt a lot. And, and so at $23 million, didn't you call that a great contract? I didn't. I because thought it was a one... tad overpaid just because well, of because his he's, flaws. But he's one of the... Right, but he's one of the best middle infielders in baseball. Yeah, his defense got a lot better. It was really bad at the beginning of his career. His defense did get a lot better, but I think a lot of the advanced metrics hurt him, though, with uh, his raw defense. But but now you have Carlos Rodon at $27 million a year who hasn't played a single pitch, and that was a great contract. Well, again, I— Make it make sense— I, my problem with Story at the time that when the Red Sox signed him was one, his strikeout rate was massive. He played, two, his home run. He, he played ninety four games last year. He had sixteen home runs and sixty six RBIs for a shortstop. That's a really good season. Okay, yeah. now his batting average, his batting average is two thirty eight, but his average batting average in his career is two sixty eight. That's not a bad season for. He played. He played fucking half the year. All right, but when he year. did play, he was he had sixteen home runs and sixty six RBIs for a shortstop. That's good. That's good. It's only okay. It's only okay. I don't think that's okay. That's I think that's is. good. I think that's pretty good. I think that's pretty good. Uh, that's ninety four games. And he costs four million dollars less a year. Than Carlos Rodon. If he so, played, so then explain to me how Travis Story's contract is just okay, but the guy who hasn't even played a single inning, they cost four million dollars more. What a great contract! What a great contract! But there's also a difference too between the the executives and the GM giving the contracts and how the Yankees handle it after that. I think the Yankees, uh, the Yankees, the way they handle it, whether it's coaching, management, the injuries, how about all this? That, this? Bring him out in spring training. This difference. is the way they look at it. They're not bringing back Savarino. Savarino's going to make between 20 and 25 million. They just got a better pitcher in Rodon for 27 million for Savarino. It's an absolute. How do you know he's better. He's already hurt, and you don't know if he's going to come back healthy Dude. or if he's going to get lit up. Um, okay. You're making the Frankie Montas okay. argument again. I can't wait like, until oh, he comes back. I can't yeah, wait maybe, until he comes back he, so I could shove it right. in your face. How about right. this? Let's make another bet from this. You want to make no, another no, bet? On, hold on, hold on. Let's talk about this for a second. <laughs> You're doing the Frankie Montas thing where you go, oh, he was good over here, so he'll be good here. That's not the case. Frankie Montas sucked in New York. Right? He had just a shoulder like problem. Sonny, just like Sonny, just like Sonny Gray oh, stop. sucked in New York. Right? It's easier to play some other places than it is in Go New York. look at Rodon. Go at look all. at Rodon's record in Yankee Stadium. Go look at his record in Yankee Stadium. Just do He's it. Hurt. Go look at his record in Yankee Stadium. Right. What's his record this year? He hasn't played yet. Oh, but it's a great contract. Uh, Jeff, could you stop? Please, Jeff, stop. Stop just, it, Jeff. I'm just telling you, you, you declared it a great contract. It, I, it, for the, the money that they gave him, absolutely, it is a good contract. And he's going to be I there know. six years, 28 I years like old. To, I, you I, have I, a good one-two combination please, in Garrett Cole like and, and Carlos Rodon. I beg you to please call Brian Cashman because I oh, also was like $27 million. Another guy you nothing, hate. To do nothing. But who, again, who says it's all on the executives and all on the, the analytics department making the decision on how much money to pay him? It, it, it could be a lot on the training staff, It's too. a steal. It's a steal. Look what so, Savarino is. Yes, $27 million for Carlos Rodon, one of the top three left-handed power hit pitchers in baseball. I would yes, love to get 100%. Million. I also would love to get $27 so million would I. to have not gotten anybody out this year. 
But again, you're again. Is that on the free agents? Is that on Brian Cashman and and the GMs and all that on that decision? Because again, the Giants did the same thing. They gave him that one year deal. I think it was twenty two million mm-hmm. on on that prove it deal because they had to see. What did the he ever is. prove it? And he had a great year there, but they might have saw something with the injuries, and that's why they decided to let him go. And they knew of what was he happening. He did not. First of all, they didn't let him go. He did not want to pre-sign with not the only, Giants. Yeah, okay. The Giants. The, there was stories that the Giants were giving him an offer, and he actually. Actually, for what we've heard, there were two teams that offered him more money, and he wanted to go to the Yankees. So, you might end up being correct, and he could end up coming in and playing great. Like, he could. I'm not saying that that isn't possible. My issue here, and the fact that you're ignoring, is you're declaring it a great contract when he hasn't even played. How would you know if it's a great contract? I am not? looking at the player, played. what he is as a player, and looking at the money that he got. Right for the Yankees, like that's what it is. So you don't know what he's going to be. I'll make right you now, bet. yeah. But again, I'll make you a bet. So right now, yeah. So you're conceding the point. So tell me how it's a great contract when he's unless unless he falls off like Sonny <laughs> Gray did. You're not going to speedy. It's, it's not worth fighting because he's just going to go back and forth with this. He's not pitched, and in I his think eyes, it's a valid point. I think it's a valid point and a valid question <laughs> on how you can say it's so great. Everything's valid for you. <laughs> Like, like, I love the Chris Sale contract at the beginning. I was like, oh, this is going to be great. The, the salary cap's going to go up, and he'll get, you know, he'll uh, cost less percentage-wise on the salary cap. It'll be great. This motherfucker's getting hurt falling off his bicycle. This is terrible. We're paying the guy $30 million a year to get hurt in the most freakish ways. He tried catching a line drive with his hand and broke every fucking finger on his hand. It's a disaster. But again, you're judging the injury track record not on freak injuries either. Carlos Rodon had arm injuries that were years ago, four or five years ago. Multiple instances, yes. That hurt his development because he was one of the top prospects in Did baseball. Did he have Tommy John's? Time. Yeah, he had Tommy John. He'll be fine. And he, it happened multiple times. That hindered his development. It's not his where, shoulder. It's not his elbow. It's his back right now. Right. And that's been the problem. And they said it's not right, a huge, that's, that's, it's not a big back injury. They want to protect him. They want to make sure. They're, they're protecting their asset. So they're not going to push him out there. Right, but isn't this the same... And again, you're going to get mad, but I think it's legitimate. Aren't you just hearing the same things they're saying about Carlos Rodon on the same things they told you about Severino and he couldn't come back for two years? No, actually, it's, it has nothing to do oh, with his just, shoulder. It has nothing to do with in. his elbow. He'll be back in no time, and then he suffers a setback, and they're like, we're just easing him back in. It's, like, it's his back. Run around the game. They said it was his back. His shoulder's fine. His elbow is fine. He is And by the fine. way, a pulled muscle in your lat, like a pulled lat, yeah, it's painful. Yeah, it's what It doesn't take four months to recover. Unless you're Noah Syndergaard. <laughs> then it'll take a whole year. Well, the Yankees want to make sure that he is 100% healthy before they put him out there. So that, Well, they better, they better cover him in bubble wrap. This dude's fragile. But again, that, that's, the, that's what they had to do to figure out, all right, we should have been more cautious in the first place. And that's why that's more on the training staff and maybe the coaches rather than Brian Cashman giving him the this quote-unquote big contract. All right. I'm not saying the Yankees training staff is good. No, they're not. And let's get to Bracket Wars, please. Jeff, thank you for calling. The, the, the MVP of training staff the New York Yankees. But at least we got to see some quality baseball tonight. By the best thank you. power hitter in New York. Goodbye. Thank you. Thank you, thank you Jeff. <laughs> thank you very much. Shut I up. do want to finish up with DeAndre Hopkins. He, he did 
say something today, and um, I, I want to read off what DeAndre Hopkins said. DeAndre Hopkins said he wants to play till the age of 37 years old. Hopkins is currently 31 years old and is entering his 11th season in the NFL. Hopkins mentioned he believes he can play longer because he's only had one significant injury despite having some lingering injuries when he was with the Cardinals. ESPN Jeremy Fowler reports that the Patriots and the Titans are the two favorites to land Hopkins and the only two teams to give him an official visit. Uh, Fowler also added that Hopkins mentioned his meeting with the Patriots was great. The Patriots just gave uh, Devontae Parker a three-year, $33 million contract, and now have about $15 million in cap space. Multiple reports have said that the Chiefs have also been in contact and with possibly a contract with Hopkins, but have less than a million in cap space right now and are also trying to give Chris Jones a new contract. So there you go. Uh, he's not playing to 37. I'm just letting you guys know that. I, I, I would say DeAndre Hopkins has another two years this is when we have seen guys break apart. Yeah. I mean, A.J. Green, these guys start falling apart, and he's played a lot of football. He's played a lot. Last year, you know, when he did play, he played pretty well when he, when he came. And I still think he has two good years. I really do. But after that, there's no way he's playing at 37. No way. And I think a lot of the other instances, too, where he might be trying to go to the Patriots or Titans just to get be a target monster. I but... think he's great. He'll be great with the Patriots. I mean, yeah, again, it's not really against Bill Belichick's mold to go after that type of player. But Why not? Again, they went after Randy Moss. Yeah, they did, it one, they, again, they did it one time with Randy Moss, and they did it recently, I guess, with Antonio Brown. But, again, it's not really against well, that kind of thing to, to do that. But, yeah, I could see him striving in that type Brady of Brady wanted Antonio Brown. I don't think Bill Belichick wanted him. No, it might be a connection with Bill O'Brien, too. Like, maybe... maybe Maybe Bill O'Brien is a coach he liked there. He just didn't like him with uh, his ego or whatever. He but... had good seasons with uh, Oh, Hopkins. yeah, plenty. Pl yeah, so. Plenty of them. And with bad quarterback play, too, until Deshaun Watson got there, too. Well, they have Macaroni over there. So I mean, it's, it's, at this point, is Mac Joe? I mean, he's an upgrade over, like, TJ Yates and those guys. But is it's older than older, uh, an upgrade over older Matt Shaw a bit later in he his career? He is <laughs> by far the worst quarterback in that class, in that division. Oh, There's yeah. no question. And, and you can argue that. Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback in that, that division, and you can argue that Josh Allen is the best quarterback. I don't think I think Tua and Macaroni and Cheese over there are the worst two quarterbacks in that. And Tua that is a very distant third for Mac Jones. Yes, <laughs> I, I would think so too. So I, 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 I'm interested to see where Hopkins go. I think he's going to go to the Patriots. I do. I, it makes a lot of sense, and I, I think the Patriots need a number one guy. And Devontae Parker, I think, is so he's horrible. Yeah, he's he's one too. That's not so many. I don't want to hear it. He's, he's not horrible. a great route runner. Like he's uh, he's horrible for what he where he was drafted and what he's turned out to be. He is an absolute bust. Okay, I don't want to hear it from anybody else. He is he was drafted as a number one. He's a number three yeah. on most teams. Right. He's a big body specialist at this point. He's Here gonna we be go. Good for touchdowns. Let's right. go. Let's go to bracket wars. The last two matchups of the elite eight. Uh, we got two six two matchups. Two Mikes. Mike Mike Tyson and Michael Phelps going at it, and then Roger Federer versus Wayne Gretzky. Here we go. It's time for bracket. 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 It's time it's for time bracket wars. All right, let's do the two mics first. Mike Tyson versus Michael Phelps. This is the best one. I mean, the number six seed, Mike Tyson. Tyson had a career of fifty. 
and six record. 44 of those were wins by knockout. Tyson was the undisputed heavyweight champion from 1987 to 1990. Tyson is the youngest heavyweight boxer to win a title at just 20 years old. Tyson is the first heavyweight boxer simultaneously that holds the WBA, WBC, and IBF title. Tyson is the only heavyweight boxer to hold all three of those titles at once. Mike Tyson, to me, in a six-year span, is the greatest boxer ever. He was scary good. Uh, You couldn't hit him. Uh, he fought guys that were twice the size of him. He was like David and Goliath, and he was—he fought like Goliath. He was unbelievable. Twenty-five hundred pounds of pressure every time he threw a punch. He was—he just—he was the best. And anybody that says it, in his six years spent uh, as the top heavyweight champion of the world wasn't the greatest six years out of all the heavyweights, you don't know boxing. Uh, I, I don't think you can argue that Mike Tyson probably will go down as one of the scariest boxers of all time. Yeah, and you're talking about, raw, like you're saying, raw punching power, too, for somebody like that. And he kept it going for a while, too, against other very difficult guys to go up against. And, and he had a great streak. I think it was the late 80s where he had 20 wins in a row or something like that, too. That's very hard to do in that era, too. So, very impressive. Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps has won 28 Olympic medals in his career. 23 of them were gold medals. Phelps has more than double the amount of gold medals as uh, from any Olympics and any Olympian. Uh, the next highest is to- total is nine. Phelps has won a gold medal in four different swimming strokes. And Phelps also won 34 medals in the World Championships, 27 gold medals. Phelps participated in five Olympic Games and 17 years of worth of World Championship events from 2000 to 2016. He's the greatest Olympian. I don't think we'll ever see an Olympian win 28 medals. Five Olympics. I think it's an amazing feat. Uh, You can argue he's the greatest athlete in Olympic history. Yeah, and again, that's a whole big medal. That's double, almost triple the amount of the next person in a stamina sport, too. That's very hard to do for five Olympics Mm. as well. It's not like you're doing, again, something like a strength sport, like a weightlifting or anything like that. That's a stamina sport. That's something you lose. We talk about it in the NFL all the time later in your career. I am going to go with Mike Tyson. All right, I'm going to go with Phelps here. I just like, I think the longevity of that kind of sport is just incredible. So I'm going to go with him. So let the Twitter polls decide this one. All right, the number six seed, Roger Federer, versus the number two seed, Wayne Gretzky. Federer has won 22 major championships, tied for the most all time. Federer has a career of match record of one. 1,251 and 275, and has won 103 titles, second most in the open hour. Federer has been the number one player in the world for 310 weeks in his career, and at 1.237 consecutive weeks. Federer became the first player to win 20 majors in his career and the oldest player to hold a world number one ranking. Federer also won eight titles in doubles and has one Olympic gold medal in doubles and one silver in Olympic medal in singles. So, uh, Roger Federer, you can argue, is... One of the top two greatest tennis players of all time. Yeah, absolutely. And again, you're looking at a great class of tennis as well in that 2000s range. I think he he's really the best. Picked. And you had so many different varieties of like the types of titles he won. We were talking about it with like the arguments with him and Djokovic and Nadal too. Like I think he has a better, wider range of the majors than on the other two have. Wayne Gretzky, the great one. 
Gretzky had 894 goals, 1,963 assists in his career, 2,857 total points. Gretzky had four seasons with over 70 goals, 11 seasons with over 100 assists, nine seasons of over 150 points. Gretzky is a 15-time All-Star, won an Art Ross Trophy 10 times, and won a Hart Trophy 9 times. Gretzky had 81 goals and 171 assists, 252 points in the playoffs, and won four Stanley Cups. Gretzky uh, finished his career with 2,857 points, uh, are 921 above the next highest player, which is Yarmir Yager. He is also 714 assists ahead of Ron Francis for the most in NHL history and is 72 goals ahead of Alexander Ovechkin for most goals in NHL history. You can argue he's the greatest hockey player of all time. I would beg to differ. I've really preached Mario Lemieux because I watched both of them play and Mario because he was a bigger build and a more finesse type of player and what he did, you know, bouncing pucks off the net and bouncing pucks off the goalie. I, I thought it was just unbelievable watching him, but you can argue what Wayne Gretzky did in the eighties was just unstoppable. So, right. And like we were saying with Phelps too, like so many records that are going to be like so tough for them to beat too. Like it doesn't, the separation is insane for pretty much besides the goals. If, if Ovechkin can get there with the longevity, he could get there, but everything else is like a whopping thousand or a hundred away or whatever. Like those are insane. What he was able to do. Who do you got? I got Gretzky in this one. I have Gretzky too. So, Roger Federer, uh, Roger Federer is eliminated, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. So the final four will be now uh, the winner of our last matchup, Tyson and Phelps, will be Michael Jordan, Babe Ruth, and and now Gretzky. Mm-hmm. So that'll be interesting. The final four of the four greatest athletes of all time, and that's that's good. I mean, that's a great matchup. So I'm looking forward to seeing uh, you know what the fans vote and where we vote. Uh, moving on next week. And Michael Jordan will be guaranteed to face another Michael as well. He will take Absolutely. on the Tyson Phelps winner. <laughs> Thank you to producer of the Minus 3 podcast, Edward Eddie Spaghetti Murphy. He was fantastic. Yes. Thank you to Eddie for joining us. And obviously, uh, Heavy Sports Jets digital uh, reporter Paul Eston Jr., a friend of the show, a, friend of, a fan of the show, and we're a fan of his. So thank you for him and uh, obviously Eddie Spaghetti for joining us a little bit earlier in the show. Thank you to all the fans. Thank you for everybody that tunes in throughout the social media markets, listening to us and really supporting what we do. Thank you to Jeff for just pissing me off throughout the show. <laughs> he does a very good job of that. So thank you to Jeff and uh, Snug and all the idiots uh, that post up and just attack us in every kind of way. But I love it. Thank you. To all the fans that tune in on our stream, everything. Thank you to everybody. We really appreciate you. We'll be, we'll be back next week on Wednesday at 9 p.m. and Thursday at 9 p.m. Moving forward in the summertime, and then we'll transition back to Wednesdays at 7 p.m. after the summer. Uh, anything to say before we go, Speedy? Yeah, I was going to say, um, maybe uh, next week, actually, I, Cameron McDonald wanted to come on next week, and he wanted to do 8.30. So you want to maybe wait on that for the 9 o'clock, or you want to start at 8? Like, we'll figure it out. That? Maybe yeah. we'll start at 8.30. Okay. All right, we'll figure it out. Because uh, Cameron was uh, very active. He said Is he sure going, he's going to be on? Yeah, he said he's going to get off a flight in, in California, and he'll be ready to go this time. <laughs> okay, so we'll have Cameron McDonald on at 8.30. So maybe we'll start the show um, eight at 8 o'clock or right. something. We'll figure it Sounds out. Sounds good. But, uh, yes. And then we're moving to 9 o'clock. So you better make sure that everybody knows that we're moving to 9 o'clock. Yes. Um, and that's it. Uh, listen to the Weekend Crunch on 103.9 FM 
on Saturday at 7 p.m. It's going to be a great show, so tune in. Uh, if you do not live in Long Island, you can go to iHeartRadio and look up LI News Radio and listen to the show only on 103.9 FM every single Saturday. We'll be back next week. Until then, this is Errol Marks and Speedy Petey saying good night, and we'll talk to you then. Good night, everybody. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.